The following is brought to you by the Leave It in the Ring Podcast Network. All boxing, no filter. Greetings and welcome to the Boxing Esquire Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Boxing Esquire Podcast presented by The Ring and RingTV.com and distributed by the Leave It in the Ring Network. My guest on this episode is the editor-in-chief of Ring Magazine and RingTV.com, Doug Fisher. Um, Great conversation with Doug. We talked about his early days, well, basically his personal journey um, and uh, how he got into writing and how he got into the sport of boxing and and some great stories of uh, his uh, getting into uh, the internet, uh, writing for the internet on House of Boxing and Max Boxing and and how he became uh, editor-in-chief of Ring. Um, also, we talked about, we went division by division, kind of breaking down what's happened in 2019 so far and looking ahead to what goes on in the future. Uh, talked about, um, you know, his fights of the year and mine as well. Great conversation. Uh, hope you enjoy. Very pleased to have as my guest on the Boxing Esquire podcast, uh, old friend of mine and, and I guess my current boss at, at, at The Ring, the, the editor-in-chief of Ring Magazine and a great boxing mind and, and commentator, uh, Mr. Doug Fisher. Welcome to the Boxing Esquire podcast. Hey, Kurt. Thanks for having me. Yeah, psyched. I'm psyched to have you on, man. Psyched to have you on. So just in case folks yeah, I, don't... I enjoy your podcast, by the way. I just, just so you know. I'm just <laughs> saying that because we feature them on The Ring, uh, the Ring's website, ringtv.com now. I, I really do. Uh, some of the best listens I've had, especially like the, the deep dives and the longer interviews that you've done with like lifelong boxing people like Russell Peltz, um, Eric Botcher. Goodness gracious. I mean, those, I just... Like I cleaned half my house while listening to them because normally I'll, I'll put on a podcast while I'm washing dishes. But if the podcast is really good and I finish washing the dishes before the podcast is done, rather than pause a really good podcast, I'll just I like to do stuff while I'm doing the podcast. I can't work and listen to a podcast at the same time. I can't multitask like that. Like right. I can't edit something or write something when I'm intently listening to somebody speak about his or her life. So. Uh, but I like to be doing something. So like, yeah, I'll like clean up the whole kitchen. If there's a really good podcast, <laughs> I'll do that. So I've done that a couple of times. Thanks to you. I would assume then your wife likes the podcast too. Cause you get a lot of stuff. Yeah, done. Exactly. <laughs> like those podcasts. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, much appreciated, man. Um, listen, let's get into your background a little bit in case people don't know. So where, where are you originally from? Um, I was born in New York city in Harlem at Harlem hospital. Um, and my parents were very young. My dad was still a teenager. He was 19 years old. My mom was 21. Um, and my mother had graduated from Reed college where my father was a a freshman and they fell in love while she was doing a master's program there an English literature master's program at Reed. And it was a one year program. So she was done and her dream you know, she's an idealistic hippie type, as my dad was. Um, she wanted to teach English to underprivileged kids in some American ghetto somewhere. She grew up in the, the Baton Rouge, New Orleans, uh, Louisiana area, deep south. But she wanted to go and make a life for herself in one of the major northeastern cities. And New York City was the place. So 
she went to Harlem and my dad dropped out of school and followed her. And, um, I was conceived not long after that, uh, in Harlem. And, um, my parents got together. They basically eloped, uh, and neither of their parents knew about it. And this is an interracial relationship. You know what I mean? And, wow. you know, 1969, mm. um, so both sides of the family, very open-minded for, for the time, uh, and on both sides of the family, as they soon discovered, they were very, very much alike because they had the same value for education, um, and they had made their careers um, in the field of education and teaching. Um, so they had that common ground, but my grandparents didn't know what to think of this union or how long it would last. And then they, Out of the blue, they find out my parents have a kid. Um, and, uh, there was kind of a tug of war, like, you know, my dad's parents saying, Hey, come home, you know, and my mom's parents saying, Hey, come home. We want to help you take care of this child. We want to meet this guy, see if he's okay. What's going on. And uh, my, uh, mother's parents won out. So, um, six months after I was born, my parents relocated to Baton Rouge where they could be close to my mother's parents. Um, and my father enrolled and finished college at Southern University, which is a, a black college. Um, and um, my mother, uh, you know, made plans for, for her graduate studies. Um, so we spent about a year and a half in Baton Rouge, where um, my younger brother, Stephen, was born. And then uh, both my parents, after my dad graduated from Southern, both my parents moved to uh, Columbus, Ohio, where... Uh, both my mom and dad were enrolled as graduate students. So my childhood uh, during the seventies was spent uh, at Columbus, Ohio on the campus of Ohio state university. And it was very, very multicultural because uh, where they stayed was the graduate student housing. And that's where you had a lot of international students. A lot of the grad students were, were from other countries. So I grew up around folks from Africa and Asia and the middle East and so forth. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, it was, you know, in Columbus, but it was its own little capsule that that neighborhood um, was called Buckeye Village in Columbus. So my early my early memories is, is Columbus, Ohio. And um, in 1980, my dad got a job um, at a at a university in southern Missouri, uh, where he still works to this day, as a matter of fact, um, uh, teaching psychology uh, and uh so we, re- we, re- we moved from Columbus to Springfield, Missouri, and that's where my, my, you know, my childhood and my adolescence took place. So from 1980 to 1988, from fifth grade through high school, I was in Springfield, I was in Springfield Missouri. So, you know, Ohio and southern Missouri. So I, Midwestern upbringing, really. And right. then I went to, to college at Antioch College in Yellow Springs, Ohio, and then I went to grad school in New York City at Columbia University. I got my master's degree in journalism. And then from, and then I spent about a year in the New York, um, New England area, um, you know, uh, working for newspapers before I got a, a, a full-time gig in Los Angeles, where I wanted to go. Because um, I had family in the, in the L.A. area, and a girl I liked from college was going to, to grad school at UCLA. And she's my wife now. <laughs> um, so I wanted to, I wanted to come out. I, I had plans, you know, so I did that. Yeah. I, uh, 93, uh, summer, late summer of 93, I moved from the Boston area where I was working for a paper, uh, called the Patriot Ledger in Quincy, Massachusetts. I drove, I drove from 
the Atlantic coast to the Pacific coast. Took me about a week, you know, gathered up, you know, made a pit stop in Springfield, Missouri and gathered up most of my belongings, um, and drove out solo to, to Los Angeles. And, um, and I've been out here ever since. So, and I've, and I've been working, you know, living and working in LA since October of 1993. Wow. And the moment I got here, like one of the things I wanted to do was join a boxing gym and really train and, and learn how to box. I had no, I mean, I had no dreams or aspirations to compete, but I wanted to learn and I'd read a lot about the West coast scene, specifically the Los Angeles scene. And I used to watch, uh, shows from what was then the great Western forum on prime ticket. And I would watch guys like Humberto Gonzalez, Chiquita Gonzalez and, and, uh, Gennaro Hernandez, the late, great Chicanito. And, um, and I was like, wow, that's like this style of boxing and this atmosphere and this crowd and even the way the commentators were. And it was like, you know, sometimes it was Rich Morata, you know, his, right, his right. call. I remember that. His card. It was all different. It seemed different than what I was reading about in Ring Magazine um, and watching um, on TV whenever I could, you know, um, tune into boxing, you know, while I was in school. And so it, it had a mystique. It definitely had a mystique. And I wanted to go to the shows. I wanted to go to the club shows. And I wanted to go to the big fights. And I wanted to join a gym. And I did all of that by, you know, the start of, of 1994. And I wanted to start writing about it as soon as possible. And I started doing that in like 95, 96 on a freelance basis. Okay, so this is pre-internet. So you're writing for a newspaper, I would assume. Yes, 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 that's right. Yeah, the, new, the sports editor of the newspaper that I worked for, Wave Newspapers, hated boxing. Oh, wow. And he just wouldn't cover it. And so, and I was, you know, I was, I was buying a ticket to, to go to these shows. And at some point the Olympic had opened up and, uh, first it was a local promoter named Peter Brody. He had a, a company called celebrity boxing and he was a dude that was kind of, he used to work with, uh, the late Dan Goosen in his early 10 goose shows kind of learned at the same time, learned about boxing at the same time that Dan Goosen learned about boxing. Um, and he put on good shows, you know, decent shows. And it was on his shows that I saw Shane Mosley fight for the first time, either in 94, or 95. And I was blown away by, by sugar. Shane couldn't believe what a, what a talent he was fighting at 140 pounds or between 135 and 140. Oh my God. He was just amazing. And, and Shane was working out at the boxing gym that I found the LA boxing club and watching him. Oh, my God. I mean, just, and that club was so it was so vibrant and had so many names. It just blew me away. I mean, I, I, at one point I remember opening up a ring magazine and just underlining, um, the contenders and title holders that were in rings rankings at that time who were actually training right in front of me. Mm. And there must've been 10 to 12 names. You know, it was, it was just, yeah, it was an amazing environment. And I was hearing everyone talk shop about upcoming fights and all this kind of stuff. And, and getting to know them. And I'm like, gosh, I should be writing about this. So I pitched my editor, um, to, to allow me to cover boxing. So I started, started covering shows for the wave. And I even did some freelance stuff for, um, the competition for wave newspapers, which was the Sentinel, which was the, it's the, the large African American newspaper in the Los Angeles area. Um, and I, I covered one or two fights for the Sentinel. And that was like, this is like 95 or 96. Um, 
and and I started doing freelance stories for fight programs, mostly Don King. He oh, wow. do a lot of shows. Don King was busy. As you know, Don King in the 90s was the boss. I mean, he Absolutely. he put on a lot of shows and he he would he would have um he would have these real thick fight programs cuz his especially his pay-per-view shows, they were really deep, you know. Gosh, they would start around 12 noon or 1 o'clock and um he had I mean, you know, he would have world title holders fighting you know, early on in those pay-per-view cards. They, <laughs> right, they in front of 50 people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But they were being, you know, they were being televised live in France or wherever. You know? Right, right. right. Um, and, um, and so I did these stories on, you know, at first these guys who were not known in America, America guys like, uh, you know, Fabrice Tiozo, you know, or some right. guy from, from Columbia or whatever, you know. And, sure. And, and, and the pay was pretty, it was decent actually, you know? And so I did this in the mid nineties, um, until the internet really, really began to pick up steam. Um, and then one of the guys I was working out with at LA boxing club, his name was, uh, Gary Randall. I found out that he was what was known as a webmaster. And he was one of these wizards who understood the HTML code. And he was, it was like magic. He, you know, he knew how to build web pages and he was a boxing fanatic. And um, he had had a, run, had a few boxing websites, but there was no real content on there. He would just um, he would record fights from TV and 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 make these little GIF animations of Mike Tyson fights. Uh, and as soon as Showtime found those websites, they, he got a cease and desist legal letter. <laughs> right. Um, so, <laughs> and I told him, hey, you know, we should cover the LA scene. There's a lot going on. Um, you know, t- by that time, Top Rank was doing monthly shows out of the Olympic uh, auditorium and uh, forum boxing was doing almost weekly shows. They were doing about three shows a month. Most of them out of the, the great Western forum. Some of them, um, the pond in Anaheim, which is now the Honda center. And then every now and then they would do a show in Vegas and um, they had, they had their up and comers, you know, uh, or guys that they had developed into attractions like Marco Antonio Barrera. And they had the Marquez brothers and of course, over at Top Rank, um, they were developing uh, Floyd Mayweather and Diego Corrales and Antonio Diaz and Lehman Brewster and, and all those guys. And you know, some guys went farther than others, you know. But it was great watching their climb. Um, and these were the first fighters that I covered for HouseOfBoxing.com, which probably went online in like November of 1997. Oh, it was um, and by 1999. Okay. Yeah, yeah, early 97, sort of our prototypes. Um, we kind of picked up steam um, in 1998. And, but, and, and by 1999, because of the prospective market and just good old-fashioned venture capitalism, you know, there were people seeing a lot of potential in this new media called the Internet. And um, we had people wanting to buy us you know, or buy into it, what we were doing, you know, and it was all speculative. We weren't making any money. It was a hobby. Right. But finally, you know what we got, we, we, we threw Shannon Briggs. We went and covered a Shannon Briggs training camp in big bear. And at the same time training in big bear was his opponent, the guy he was going to fight Francois Botha. And that's when I got to meet and, and got to know Abel Sanchez, who was training Francois Botha and also the late great, Emmanuel Stewart, who was training Shannon Briggs at the time, and they wound up fighting, and they fought the summer of 
99, so 20 years ago, they fought in Atlantic City, and Shannon Briggs told his manager, Mark Roberts, about these internet guys who did a story on him and did some video, and he showed him, he showed Mark Roberts the House of Boxing website, and Roberts thought it was cool, and he had money to burn at the time. He had his, that worldwide entertainment sports venture going, you know, right. so he had other people's money because it was a... Uh, it was a uh, publicly traded company. I think it was on NASDAQ. <laughs> and, uh, right, right. You know, and Greg Cohen, he was part of that whole thing. You know, <laughs> he had a bunch of fighters that he managed and, you know, all these heavyweights. And, right, yeah, they, had the, they had and the triple threat company. guys, didn't they? They had uh, triple they, threat guys. Yeah, yeah Ray Mercer, Cole, Charles and, Murray. Charles the Natural Murray. Right, who right. Everyone forgets existed, you know. <laughs> he was a hell of a junior welterweight. Absolutely. I haven't forgotten him. Right. And, uh, yeah, so I think we, I mean, I think Mark flew us out first class to, to Atlantic city and wined and dined us. And, and we covered that, that fight and we were negotiating with them. And by December of 99, we signed a deal now I, that was worth a lot of money. Absolutely. Yeah. I, and I just want to inject a little in here. That was really a turning point. I think once, uh, once uh, there was some money behind a, a boxing website, because yeah. because it wasn't just that, um, you know, these guys, you know, that that, you know, there was a little bit of money. But this is when, you know, you guys got Michael Katz, you got Thomas Hauser. That was the that was the paradigm. That was the paradigm shift. Right. Um, I remember Mark Roberts. Who's crazy? I mean, he's he's crazy. <laughs> you know, Doesn't it, lack confidence. As as an aside, yeah, Mark Roberts also. I, I, I he approached me in, in around two thousand. You know, before all this, all the all the the tech crash happened, um, because yeah. I was writing for I was writing for um, oh lord, I forget the, the the name. It was the the precursor to Seconds Out. Um, and he's just like, oh, you know, give, you know, send yeah. me the website, you know, maybe, you know, I'd, I'd like to buy it and all that. I didn't actually take him seriously. I didn't know he was the money behind us. <laughs> I, you know what? I, don't feel bad, Kurt, because um, I didn't either. Boxingpress.com. I'm sorry. That's Bar what it was. Boxingpress.com. Yeah. yeah. I remember Boxing Press. Yeah. Uh, and, um, yeah, Mark and Gary Randall had a rapport because Gary's crazy. Um, and, and, and they have money, you know what I mean? They kind of come from that. And that was kind of like, you know, I'm a journalist and I'm a college guy and, and, and we ask questions, guys like you and I, like, right, right. Mark, where's this money coming from? You know, what's, <laughs> what's your plan? And, you know, Mark doesn't want to talk about that stuff, you know, and, and, but, but Mark and Gary, you know, and, but Mark is a, in his own way, he's a creative guy and Gary in his own way was a creative guy. And they were gamblers, and right. they just go for it, and they're in, and and they're in it for the thrill. And so Gary believed in Mark, and because there were other people interested in either buying outright or buying into to houseofboxing.com. There was this Canadian company, and you know how Canadians are. I mean, they're they're very they're very reasonable and rational, and they sit down. And let's talk about a business plan and all that, and that bored the hell out of Gary. Uh, and Mark is like taking us to clubs and we're getting drunk and, there's, you know, there's, there's, you know, um, high price escorts with us and Mark is wearing like a, uh, uh, uh like a, a fur coat that goes down to his ankles and talking a crazy stuff. And, character. Yeah. Yeah. And we're riding around in a limousine and, and, they, you know, Gary and Mark are, are, are smoking weed and high-fiving each other. And, Come on, Doug, high-five us, you know? And, and I'm like, I already high-fived you. You only get two high-fives a day. I'm sorry, no, you know? I was a buzzkill. And 
He's saying, I can get, and I forgot who he said he could get. He was talking about a big-time sports writer from the New Jersey area. God, who was it? Was it Jerry Eisenberg? Like, really? Jerry Eisenberg? Yeah, it was Eisenberg. It right. was Jerry, yeah. If I, can get, I can get Jerry Eisenberg. I'm like, exclusively? Like, I can get him, you know? And I'm like, I don't know. And then, He's like, wait, you, you don't like Jerry? You don't like Jerry? I'm like, oh, no, I like Jerry. I have a lot of respect for Jerry. He's not one of the guys I read. And he said, I can get Michael Katz. I'm like, you can get Katz? <laughs> and I was thinking, I, I, I was aware that Katz was having trouble with the Daily News. Like, they were butting heads. And I read Katz religiously. Yeah, same here. And I here. noticed that his column was shrinking. Mm. It was shrinking. It was going from, like, you know... 800 words to 500 words to 300 words. You know what I mean? Right, right. And I know that he'd written some stuff that had gotten, not gotten the Daily News sued, but threatened. Right. You know, they'd been threatened by, you know, everybody from, you know, Bob Arum, Don King to whoever. Whoever Katz was throwing stones at and, and had thin skin. <laughs> right, right. Um, so I was like, you know what? I bet you, you know what? Maybe that's possible. Because I, I know... The kind of column this cat's was, he needed room, and he needed and, and and the internet, you know, no word count, and and less restraints, less restrictions, like that was the wild west. That was <laughs> that made sense to me because he he threw rocks, you right. know, he wanted right. to get a reaction. He called, he you know, he gave people nicknames, um, <laughs> and he was one of those he was one of those columnists that I disagreed with fifty percent of what he wrote. And if Cat made a fight, if, if if Cats had a fight prediction, I automatically picked the other guy. I know nothing. <laughs> so I was, and if Cat said somebody was going to be an all-time great, I'm going to be like, no, he's hype. He's going to crash and burn. You know what I mean? Like I was, but I I had to read him. Right. I had to read him though. Like, nah, he was and great. I respected him as a columnist. I could tell he he could really write his ass off. Absolutely. You know? So that was intriguing, and so Cats used to utilize um, Hauser as like his counsel, his legal counsel, like to read over the contracts and mm. to help write up his own contract. And Hauser kind of wrote himself in to the Michael Katz package. So <laughs> it was a two for one. When we got Katz, we got Hauser. And then on our side, I brought in Steve Kim. Right. Because he had a, a, a popular um, radio program dedicated to boxing. And Steve was the same way. I didn't agree with like half of what Steve said. I disagreed <laughs> with, and I used to call in, and sometimes we'd argue about stuff like, you know, was, was open scoring good for boxing? Is Zab Judah the real deal or not? You know, and that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and I got to know him a little bit, and he was somebody I spoke to when we first started planning to, to design a website. You know, I talked to Steve. What do we need to have to have a good website? And Steve was really good, you know. And Steve just tells it like it is. He's a straight shooter. Right. And he doesn't care if you don't like what he has to say, which is why he became a good columnist and why I thought he could be a good columnist. And he has become a really good columnist. And, and, he, and he's, a good, he's a good reporter as well. Right. His talent, however, really is, is broadcast. And so the Internet being multimedia, there were possibilities there by bringing Steve Kim in. And then at some point, we, you know, Gary wasn't able to post everything. You know, Steve is very demanding and he's a workhorse and he deals. He's not like me. Like I don't, I'm not like the breaking news type dude. I want to write stories. I want to look at who's coming up. I want to, I want to talk about what's up and pontificate and all that kind of crap. 
and and Steve it was more is more was more of the hard news guy, and he would he would send Gary, you know, he would email Gary breaking news that Gary wouldn't get to all day or maybe even to the next day, and it was driving Steve crazy. So we brought in Tom Gerbasi to be like the webmaster, the guy who posts stories and all that. Um, and I knew Tom Gerbasi because he was a publicist. He did uh, uh, PR work for female fighters that I'd written about for House of Boxing. There was a woman. Do you remember a woman named Leah Mellinger? Absolutely. You remember her? Absolutely. Yes. You yes. remember Nina, uh, Nina, Nina Allen, Nina the Bomb Allen? I think she was a former, uh, yeah, Atlanta Falcon cheerleader. Atlanta, That's right. Yeah, Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, some Atlanta franchise. <laughs> you got a good memory. You know, you know all these people. And then out here in the West Coast, there was Bridget Riley. You know, why well, I, I so I would sometimes I would write stories on female fighters, and um, Gerbasi was the person who put me in touch with them. And Gerbasi reminded me, hey, I write too. Like when we you know, we went out to dinner with him and we, we talked about him joining the team and all, and he's like, yeah, I can copy edit, yeah, I can post. Guys, I'm a writer, I can write. I'm like, oh yeah, right, okay, cool. <laughs> so it was a great mix. We've got like, we've got uh, you know an established, not just a veteran, but like a decorated veteran in in Michael Katz, an award winning author in Thomas Hauser, and then we had young guns like Steve Kim and, and Tom Gervaisi. It was a real good mix. You had guys on the East Coast, guys on the West Coast, and uh, it was, uh, you know, for about a year and a half, I, I think we had a, a dream team with, with HouseOfBoxing.com. Absolutely, yeah. It was definitely, the, when, once I found it, I was I was addicted to it. I mean, it was, uh, it was you know, there, there weren't a lot of boxing websites back then. It was like, you know, Cyber Boxing sure. Zone, uh, Fight News, yeah. uh, Boxing Fight Press, yeah. um, and, yeah. and House of Boxing, and, you know, maybe a few others, but... Um, those are the only ones I really went to a lot. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty yeah. amazing. And, you know, obviously, you know, once, once the, the, the tech crash happened, uh, you know, the, the money went out and you guys kind of rolled it over to, uh, to max boxing, right? That's right. We had to figure out, are we going to get real jobs? <laughs> this has been fun. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, because when, when Roberts bought house of boxing, what was a, a part-time passion and really a hobby became a full-time job. Right. And it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, and we didn't want it to stop, but it was good for us because it made us really look at it as a business. And there were a lot of ideas that we had for Roberts and the people who took over uh, for Roberts, this Magnum incorporated some, some, some outfit that went out of business real quick. I think they tried to acquire the Ford modeling agency and, destroyed themselves on that but um yeah i remember going to them saying hey you know we could do a subscription thing with house of boxing and they were like no you can't do that the internet has to be free and all and i'm like no i mean most of it will be free but you can do it you can set it up to have premium content you know right and they couldn't see it they couldn't see it and these are guys that had made millions of dollars you know and they were affiliated with the the madison square garden company and madison square garden network and all this and they were big timers and you know but they, you know they were also old guys and they were like uh, what nah get out of here and i'm like uh, no it makes sense i i mean i i had no problem paying 50 cents you know to buy the the new york daily news the only thing i read was michael katz's column right if you're a hardcore boxing fan you'll pay for good stuff you know right and you know i tried to explain that the internet's multimedia and we could do radio type stuff and we could do video and you know, but things, you know, streaming wasn't really a thing yet at that point, but we knew it was going to become a thing. That was one thing that Gary Randall 
was visionary in. Like he knew that, you know. Um, absolutely, absolutely. And I people mean, would argue against him. People argue. They were like, "No, Gary, we're sorry. Stop. St-. You know, the internet is not TV. You can't <laughs> think of it like that." And Gary totally thought about it like that. Like, <laughs> yes, it is. If it isn't now, it will be. Let's, you right. know. And so, so we saw, you know, and, and I, I, I didn't agree with everything Gary had to say, but I also trusted him to an extent. Like, you know, you're so crazy. You know, you might just be onto something, man. So, um, you know, when, when, when the company, you know, what a worldwide entertainment and sports slash Magnum went out of business, um, and couldn't even, you know, couldn't honor our contract, you know, we said, okay, all that stuff that we used to pitch them that they would poo poo. Okay, now it's time to put that into practice. Let's see if we can really do this. And, you know, we formed a small, you know, an LLC. Um, and, you know, Max Boxing LLC was Gary Randall, myself, Steve Kim, and Tom Gerbezi. And I'm like, okay, let's set up, uh, uh, you know, a subscription service. Let's, let's try to make this a pay site or partially a pay site. Let's offer premium content. And let's find out what is premium content. And that was a whole journey, but it was an education as well. And it turned out we were able to do it and, and, and still have like full-time gigs in the boxing industry, which you know is difficult. Absolutely. Um, for, you know, I was with them for eight years. I was, you know, we did max boxing from early 2001. Um, and I was with them through 2008. So that wasn't a bad run. Absolutely. And like you said, I mean, you, you guys, you know, you had a, a great, um, you know, weekly uh, video program with the next round, uh, which, the next was, round. Yep. which was you and Steve. And then it was uh, um, Steve and uh, Gabriel Montoya for a while. Gabe Montoya. Right. You did a good job. Yeah. Right. And also, I remember you, yeah. you guys streamed. Uh, well, first of all, I, I should say that I wrote for Max Boxing for a few years, but um, yeah, you, you guys... Then, then it became too much of a conflict for me because I was managing too many fighters, and you know, I wrote some controversial <laughs> and, and, articles. And you off, yeah, you pissed off Showtime <laughs> and Gary Shaw. Yes, With the launch of Showbox. That's right. I, that. I, I had a few choice Boy, words. I got for some the... angry phone calls, man. Yeah, <laughs> I realized I couldn't That's speak okay. my mind, so I, I had to. I had to put the put the typewriter, you know, the, the 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 keyboard the keyboard away and. And, uh, and and just do my managing full time to to do you know best service to the fighters. But you guys streamed uh, Giovanni Lorenzo, one of Giovanni Lorenzo's fights. Um, uh, we did, yeah. And uh, Hassan Rockman and Kermit right. Centron, right? And Joan Guzman, right? And we did a few. Yeah. Right. Oh, hey, actually, a, a Ricky Hatton fight. <laughs> which 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 Hatton fight did you guys do? Carlos Vilches was it? I don't know, some guy. So it was I like mean, one of those bond, bond. WBO yeah. uh, title fights. Maybe. Or, I'm maybe sorry, WBU. WBU. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I don't know. It was supposed to be a double header, and in the main event was a really fascinating light heavyweight fight between Glenn Johnson and Joe Calzaghe. Joe Calzaghe's the foray into the 175-pound division was supposed to happen in the mid-2000s, and he was fighting Glenn Johnson, who I think had just been relieved of uh, the title. I think he had split those fights with Antonio Tarver. So it was around this time, and it was before Ricky Hatton had come, you know, had made his U.S. debut. Um, 
And um, I remember it was a Sunday. I was interviewing Glenn Johnson for a story that I was writing about the fight for Max Boxing. And, uh, you know, I, I started talking to him, just saying, hey, man, what a story you got. Like, you know, it's so amazing. It's what's great about boxing. And he's like, thanks, thanks. That's great. That's great. But before you go any further, the fight's off. I just got off the phone with the guys from England. The fight's off. Uh, Calzaghe pulled out, citing personal problems, you know. And then he then he proceeded to, to rip Calzaghe for the next 10 to 15 minutes. <laughs> I was like, oh, crap, you know. And so I got off the phone with him, and I, you know, get on the phone with Gary and, and Steve. And we're having a three-way conversation. And Steve's like, I want out now. This is a Frank Warren bait-and-switch. <laughs> Frank Warren never intended to make that fight. Steve used to call Frank Warden the warden <laughs> because <laughs> that he would he would keep all of his, his his fighters his popular British fighters under wraps and wouldn't let them come to America. You know they had to split with Warren before they would come to America to make their names. You know like <laughs> like Hamed had done. And by the way, as Hatton and and Calzaghe eventually did. You know, right? Um, and uh, you know he he think he didn't think you know Hatton he didn't think Hatton resonated with. U.S. audiences. Steve was totally right, but Tom and I were thinking about it, and, and Tom said, uh, no, there's no other boxing happening. You know, we're the only game in town. People, you know, hardcore fans want to watch world-class boxing. They got to they gotta stream it on uh, Max Boxing. And we didn't do it at like a pay-per-view. We didn't. Like, you just have to be a member to watch the stream. Right. And um, they didn't. it didn't work, you know. And it wound up like something like to 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 stream it, you know, we had to get a satellite feed and you got to pay by hour, you know, mm. and it wound up going longer, you know, it wound up winning over. And we were thinking, you know, Hatton was going to knock this fool out in like a couple rounds or whatever, but I think it went like into, you know, past 10 rounds or whatever and something happened. Anyways, we wound up paying more than we thought we were going to pay for that. And we're a small business. And, um, you know, rather than go to the people who wrote for us and saying, oh, we can't pay you or whatever, we all just took a haircut, you know, on what we paid ourselves, you know, and uh, my wife was not happy about that. That was, that was, a, tough, <laughs> that was a lean summer. It really uh, was. So, I mean, that's how it is. You know, when the website's doing good, you can you can pay more, you can bring in more people. And we always invested in our product, you know, our product. Um, I think at, at its height, I think we had 8,000, between 8,000, 8,500 subscribers, most of them monthly. Some of them, you know, signed up for like the half year or full year deal, but most folks were month by month. Um, but you know, when we were starting out, when we just had like 1400 or 2,500, it was, those were lean years. And then towards the end of the decade, when social media began to sprout um, and people, you know, you know, cell phones became advanced enough to where people could capture video on that. and YouTube came around and MySpace and all that. Um, suddenly, the, the video that we were getting at gyms and press conferences and weigh-ins, it was no longer exclusive, you know. Right. Came pretty and people common. didn't care about the production value. If you can get it free somewhere else, you do that, you know. Right, right. That right. that definitely crashed into our revenue model, you know. Um, right. And the lesson is, you got to keep up with the times, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. So it was, yeah. Uh, but yeah. it was still, it was, it was still a fun run, and I'm glad we did that stuff with the streaming. You know, it didn't always work out for us, but 
I'm kind of proud that we were kind of, you know, among the first people to do that with boxing. Absolutely. Even though only crazy people like you are aware of it. (laughs) (laughs) Diehards, diehards and industry people. Absolutely. Gave gave a crap about that stuff. We're only people who have any recollection of that. I'm guilty on both counts. (laughs) Yeah. It's a badge of honor, Kurt. (laughs) So then you you left Max Boxing to uh, become the editor-in-chief of... uh, of a ring is that right in in 2008 well no i i i yeah at the end of 2008 um i left for the ring but i wasn't part of the magazine staff um uh, i was hired just to build up the website That's and at right. that time right. it was That's like right. ringonline.com and it was not it was basically the ring website was a uh, a weekly bill detloff column and the ratings page and that's pretty much it so we had to build it up and um, it was myself and Michael Rosenthal as co-editors of the website. And Golden Boy had recently acquired, bought Ring Magazine, the brand. Um, and um, along with that, they brought over Nigel Collins and Eric Raskin and Bill Detloff and Joe Santaliquito, um, you know, the staffers. And, they, and so they produced the magazine, and it was still based on the East coast, I think outside of Philadelphia. Um, and over in the West coast was Michael Rosenthal and I, um, heading up the, the website. And this, this arrangement existed, I think through 2011. And then by that time, Richard Schaefer, who was kind of getting more under, you know, more in cahoots with, Al Heyman, then with Oscar De La Hoya and, and the Heyman talent, which was the bulk of the talent and the elite talent, you know, and the talent that TV was interested in, except for Canelo. Um, you know, they were with Heyman. Um, at some point, it became taboo, really, to kind of be anti-Mayweather, even though, I, like, really, that was part of Mayweather's strength, was being the hill and being polarizing. It was kind of like... Right. You know, if Nigel, Nigel and the gang weren't, weren't rah, rah, rah Mayweather or, you know, it, they didn't even have to be anti Mayweather. But if they were rah, 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 Manny Pacquiao, who was affiliated with with Bob Arum and top rank, that was taboo. Mm. That rubbed Schaefer the wrong way. Like it was that bad. The Cold War was that bad, literally. Like it wasn't so much you, you, you they had zero tolerance for for Mayweather criticism or Mayweather hate. It was that they they couldn't tolerate Pacquiao love. You know what I mean? It was like <laughs> it was whack. I mean, it was seriously. It was it was it was crazy. You know. So at at some point. Um, well, what's crazy is, I, on, is no one would accuse you of being like a Mayweather sycophant, Doug. <laughs> you, you, what was that? I said no one would accuse you of being like a, a Mayweather sycophant. You're, no, you're just, no, you're kind of known for being pretty harsh on one Floyd. Oh no, no, they didn't like that at all. No, that, that was that was not a, that wasn't popular one bit, you know, especially with Schaefer. Um, but you know, whatever. I'm gonna I'm gonna say what I want. I'm I'm gonna call it like I see it. I'm not saying I'm right, but but at some point, um, they they cleared they cleaned house. They got rid of Collins and and Detloff and Raskin and Santa Laquito. Um, I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. I thought it was I thought it was wrong. Um, uh, and uh, Rosenthal became the editor in chief of the magazine, and then I became the full editor of the website. So, and that's how it was until 
just recently until um, late 2017. Um, and then I took over as editor in chief of the magazine. So I'm still pretty new as editor in chief of the magazine. Gotcha. And gotcha. it's been a real, it's been a challenge, but I mean, it's also been a real, it's been a privilege. Um, and, um, and it's been an education and it's, it's interesting. It's hard. It's hard doing a monthly publication. It really is. It's difficult to keep up with the sport of boxing and to keep it alive too, because you know, it's, it's hard to make money with a, a print publication. It's hard to make money with any kind of even online publications, you know, anything, but certainly with print, because it's harder to get, get that product out there and, and, and younger generations is not even used to, to, to receiving their information and entertainment in, in, on paper in a, in a hard copy printed form. So, you know, we have to think of ways, how do we keep this viable? How do we, how do we make money with this? You know? And I realize, and I don't like, I don't like doing it, but I also realize that part of my job, part of my responsibility, um, is to keep the magazine alive, you know, to keep and, and to keep the brand alive and to, to, make golden boy or help golden boy or educate golden boy into understanding that it is valuable. Um, if not the magazine, then the brand itself. And then, okay, well, how do we, how does, how, how do we utilize the brand? How, how is the brand valuable and, and how can it make money or pay for itself or so, you know, and, and, and so forth. So that's not easy because, you know, I went to school uh, for journalism. Right. My right. master's degree is in journalism. I didn't go to business school. Right. And I didn't go to marketing school. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't. And right. I, I didn't have any interest in those things. So um, it's, it, you know, it, it, it's not easy for me to articulate that or get that message across or, you know, it's not easy for me to come up with like a business plan. But I do know what, what I do know as a boxing fan. And, and this was our saving grace with the Internet when it was still new media is that I know, I understand boxing and I have a deep love and appreciation for the sport and its history and what it represents in our culture. And, and I know it's valuable. And I know that there are people out there, crazies like you and I, who want, who want it, who want to receive it and want to embrace it and, and, and will pay for it in different forms. Right. I know this. I knew that. I knew that when I was arguing in some boardroom in New York City um, when I'm saying, no, people will pay, people will pay on the internet. Yeah, it's true. Believe it or not. This, this is a thing, you know? Right. Um, and they're looking at me like you're crazy, you know? Um, and, and the same thing now, like I know there are ways that the ring brand can, can bring in revenue, you know? And, and I have, I just have to figure out, I just have to be able to present that, you know, that proposal, uh, that business plan, that idea, those ideas, I have to articulate that in a way that uh, my bosses will understand. So wish me luck on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because it ain't, it ain't uh, easy, man. absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And, and I know that uh, there's always Perry, somebody wanting to kill it. You know, they're like, you know what? We're spending money on this. How much money are we bringing back? No, kill it. You know, there's always, <laughs> there's always some numbers cruncher or some, some suit, you know, some executives, just some guy who's, you ain't about boxing. They're just corporate. And they're just like, what? A magazine? What? <laughs> right, right, right. Boxing magazine? What? Like, kill it. <laughs> Get rid of it. Like, seriously, there's somebody, there's somebody at, at all times 
telling that, you know, to, to Oscar De La Hoya, to whoever's going to listen over there at Golden Boy. And I got to be that guy to say, no, this is valuable. This is history. Right. The Ring Archives alone is a gold mine. You guys don't even know what you have. You right. know what I mean? Like, you got to, we got to utilize this. We got to go through this. We got to categorize, uh, categorize that. We got to, we've got to, we got to do things with it because there are people, they reach out to me. They don't know who to go to. There's, there's production companies, film companies, you know, documentary producers, you know, pub, you know, uh, publishing companies, clothing companies every week, every day, even reaching out about that ring brand and the covers of the ring or what was inside the magazine at any given time in the last 80 to 90 years, you know, and they want to use that for whatever their project is. Right. Well, it's, it's I, I got I to I gotta let these guys know, hey, no, it, it's a big deal. It's yeah. a huge deal that we're almost 100 years old. Absolutely. That's huge. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. Well, uh, a sports magazine, a sports magazine, it's exactly. I mean, a sports magazine, it's a lot younger than The Ring. I mean, Sports, sports Illustrated uh, just sold their uh, intellectual property rights, you know, basically for marketing and branding development to uh, yeah. authentic brands for 110 mil. So. There's that yeah. possibility. I mean, if that if that keeps the magazine yep. and and the reportage alive, then it, it, it's worth it. I mean, I've I've not heard great things about authentic brands, the company, but <laughs> um, yeah. it's, it's a possibility of uh, selling off the IP. Yeah, spinning off the IP. Yeah, no, I'm glad. I'm glad you. Yeah, I'm glad you you brought that up. You know, and that's that's the kind of stuff I I have to convey. Uh, and I really, it's just part of the job. I mean, I would love for my job just to be assigning stories, coming up with story ideas, um, and coming up with creative ways to present the magazine, um, and doing new things. Cause you know, every, everybody, every editor has their own vision and brings their own interests to the publication, you know, right. and with me, I wanted to show more love to the lighter weight class guys. You know, I'm into the Asian scene, you know, the Japanese scene. I wanted to have, you know, I, I, I wanted to have stories on the Japanese fighters that are making noise, put them on the cover. Um, you know, I wanted to show love and respect to women's boxing and the female scene because I think it, we could be entering a golden age. I think it, it's, it's getting to that point. So I wanted to recognize champions who were, were you know, part of women's boxing. Right. And I've been able to do that. I wanted to, I wanted to get really push the belts. And, 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 you know, force the issue with the, with the ratings committee, with the, the ring ratings panel to like, you know, pull the trigger. Okay. You know, okay. It's not number one versus number two, but guess what? We got number one versus number three. Come on guys, let's do this. You know, can you have to do that sometimes because some of these folks are such purists and, and they're, and, and they're so geeky with it. They outthink themselves. You know what I mean? And, and, and. <laughs> And thankfully, I've, you know, with, with Tom Gray, we've pushed the issue on certain fights where the Ring Magazine title could be on the line, but it, 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 it didn't have to be on the line if the ratings panel didn't want it, you know? And right. we had that situation with the first fight between Sri Saketsu Rungasai and Juan Estrada. We had that situation with Callum Smith and George Groves. Um, we recently had that situation with Nioa Inoue and Emmanuel Rodriguez. And the, the rating well, committee was like, nah, nah. John, and that, I mean, you know, half of them were like, yeah. And half of them were like, nay, we're like, 
what are you guys nuts? Whoever wins this fight, they're worthy. Come on. Stop <laughs> being nerds, man. Come on. You know, really, you know, you had to do that. You know, if you don't right. do that, people don't get crowned. And I'm really proud that we've got a, we don't have a lot, but maybe we have the most ring magazine champions since the championship policy was reinstated by Nigel Collins in 2002. And I'm proud of that. I mean, that was part of my vision. You know? well, that's great. That's great. Well, listen, let's, let's get into all of that. Um, I, I wanted to talk to you about um, how you've seen a, a 2019 so far and, and, and kind of wanted to take it division by division. Um, sure. You know, let, let's, and, and speaking of ring belts, um, you know, I think you guys had a, you know, I, I know someone was talking about how you guys had a decision at heavyweight. I mean, you had Povetkin versus uh, yeah. Joshua, and it was one versus three, and Wilder was right. obviously the clear number two at the time. And, you know, people right. were like, well, why isn't, you know, why isn't the winner of this the, the ring belt? But that, that, that's yeah. where you guys yeah. are and, like. And, and Eddie Hearn, you know what? Eddie Hearn reached out and asked if, if the belt would be on the line when Joshua fought Joseph Parker. Right. Because Joshua was number one and Parker was number three. But Deontay Wilder is such a strong number two. You right. know what I mean? He's right. so dangerous. Right. That it just, it, you know, and, and, and just it, the perception was there was a huge gulf between the number two and number three contender. And so that was like almost unanimous. Like the panel, I don't think anybody on the panel said, yeah, why not? You know, right. With those other scenarios that I gave, we had like half the panel said okay for for Callum Smith and and George Groves or in a way and Rodriguez or whatever and and basically Tom and I were like the tiebreakers right you know so uh, but in that there are situations where the number two contender is so strong I think we had it when um when Arislandi Lara fought um Jared Hurd right. Lara was number one and Hurd was number three and number two was was Jermel Charlo and at the time Charlo was perceived as such a strong number two we couldn't have Jared skip over him and then fight for that vacant title, but right wouldn't have been yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I so, mean, I don't know. You never know. I mean, you know, in retrospect, you know what? Maybe it was legit. I don't know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> who knows? History but, will tell. Uh, you know, but it's tough. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So hey, let's tells. let's talk about the heavyweights. So so far, 2019. I mean, obviously things have been dominated by the by the big upset by uh, Andy Ruiz over. Over uh, awesome. Anthony Joshua, which was amazing. That was uh, great. You know that we, was what what a, what an atmosphere! Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. That was, that's that's why you cover the sport, man. <laughs> to be to, to soak that in, to be in a packed Madison Square Garden. <laughs> you know, well, well, like what was two crazy? hours leading into the main event, the right. place everyone singing those songs. You know, Sweet Caroline. And well, it was a hot undercard from too. Oasis. Hot undercard, great yeah, it fights. Was good. It warmed up the it crowd. Was good. Eddie's put on some good shows. Absolutely. Yeah. I hats off to Eddie. And then you had uh, the big upset. And then and, we got that. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and to me, the feeling in the building, just being in the crowd and being amongst like a, a heavy, you know, British contingent, it was just shock. Everyone was just yeah. in shock. Like, no, way. like they were, it was a dream. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It was like, like a dream. Like, wow. Wow. You know, and they, How they did that just happen? Like, hey. <laughs> yeah. Right. They would like, like, why did he look so bad? Right, <laughs> like, right. It was so bizarre. It's like they couldn't even see the good things that Ruiz did. They were like, "What? What's up with Joshua? Why did it look like he didn't know what he was doing in there? That was <laughs> that was sad. That was Absolutely. pathetic. Did that just happen? Like, yeah, that just happened. Absolutely. But I, upsets like that breathe life into the sport, you know, especially when they happen in the glamour division. 
Absolutely, yeah. Andy Ruiz is a star now. You know, he's he's uh, he is. he's he's made Celebrity. a few a few appearances. You know, you got the one on Kimball. Um, I guess if you know if they'd really thought about things, they would have kept him in New York for maybe another week after the fight and had him do like all the media right. here. <laughs> but um, that would have been smart. It, it was just so you know. I mean, for him, it was just another fight. He's on that early morning flight after the you know the the day after and back home. You know, but uh, yeah, but um, on cloud nine, and he's still on it. Absolutely, yeah. We had the the Wilder Fury rematch was supposed to happen. Fury signs with ESPN, kind of throws a spanner in that. But uh, but now right. you know we're 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 looking uh, into uh, you know later in the year. It looks like well, we got Wilder Ortiz too, Joshua Ruiz too, and uh, Fury versus to be announced. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's uh, you know what these are fights to look forward to. Absolutely. Joshua Ruiz is going to be, everyone's going to be split, you know, as one-sided as it was going into the first fight. You know, half of the people that were true believers of Anthony Joshua will now tell you that they never believed in him uh, and that Ruiz is all wrong for him and that he'll never beat Ruiz and that he's definitely going to lose. And then there'll be people who say, no, I'm, I'm you know, that was an aberration. Um I'm, I'm picking AJ in the rematch. He'll make the necessary adjustments. He won't overlook Ruiz. He'll be dialed in for this fight. And at the same time, those guys will be nervous. <laughs> They'll be like, oh, God, you know, Absolutely. I think he's going to win the rematch. They won't know. Absolutely. They're going to be, you know, and then, there's, and then there's a new group that are like Andy Ruiz fans now. <laughs> and they'll tell you that they've had Andy Ruiz's back for the last five years. They'll like, oh, I always do about the Destroyer. Right. Love that chubby badass. I always <laughs> believed in him. Yeah, I'm ride or die for Andy Ruiz, you know. And and you know, and 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 they're going to be going into that fight. So there's tremendous, yeah, tremendous interest in that rematch and and where it's going to land and wherever it lands, it's going to be a huge event. Um, and it's great. It's 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 great for the sport. Um, a lot can happen between now and early 2020. Um, so hopefully we get Wilder Fury too. Because right. the first fight was was high drama, that was beautiful. That injected a lot of um, interest, outside interest, casual fan interest into the heavyweight division and boxing in general. Um, and so uh, the rematch can certainly be a lot bigger. But uh, anything can happen in the heavyweight division. We don't know who Fury's going to fight next. Probably nobody of, of threat, you know. But right. um, Wilder's in with a with a threat. I think Luis Ortiz remains dangerous. <laughs> he hasn't impressed me in his fight since right. the, the first fight with Deontay Wilder. I do get kind of the feeling like maybe he aged five years during the 10 rounds <laughs> with Deontay Wilder right. last right. year. But right. I mean, that was a, you know, he, he showed, he showed where he's at. You know, he, you know, I think Luis Ortiz proved him to be a top five or six heavyweight and somebody who certainly has the ability to beat Deontay Wilder on a good night. Absolutely that shock me. Absolutely, I wouldn't. I wouldn't pass out if 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 Wilder lost a decision or got knocked out by by Luis Ortiz. The dude's dangerous, you know. But I, you know, I favored Deontay in that rematch. Absolutely, you know, it's funny because you know, looking at this from a management perspective, um, you know, the the week of Joshua Ruiz, you've got Wilder announcing not just one but two fights ahead. I mean, who does that, right? I mean, he, he, I don't he, know. he, he announces Ortiz and then he announces Fury. <laughs> and why? Because there's so much rancor between Shelly and, and Hearn. And, you know, and, and yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's so much Al and Hearn, but definitely Shelly and Hearn. 
that you yeah, know, definitely. They're basically yeah. saying we're playing keep away with Wilder, Joshua. You know, screw you. Yeah. But 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 then but then look what happens. The PBC fighter wins. So they've completely like over yeah. outsmarted themselves. Like if Ruiz actually wins the rematch, Wilder could have had next. Yeah. But instead, he's got a tough fight with Ortiz and a tough fight with Fury. You know, he could get yeah. beat at either one of those, and you could have like a PBC champ with three belts, but not the one they thought they had. You know, <laughs> and right. And but, uh, you know, that's what I love about boxing, though. It's right. It's really, it, it you can't predict it. You really can't. When you think you know it all, right. Right. You know, bo- boxing shows you you don't know anything. Right. The, the, the chessboard uh, switches you know, up on egos, you. <laughs> yeah. And when egos get involved in boxing, sometimes the people who are managing the careers of these fighters have them do crazy things, you know. And, and I'll even give you the situation with Canelo. Um, you know, everyone's saying, oh, it, it's a no brainer. You know, Canelo's next fight is going to be the third fight with Gennady Golovkin because that's why. Zone spent all those millions and millions and millions of dollars signing both of those middleweights was to make that third middleweight championship fight because that's a huge fight arguably you know you know if not the biggest fight that can be made in boxing the second or third biggest fight that can be made in boxing right now sure sure and and but the egos you know you know the good folks at golden boy they're like wait no we you know canelo or, or, or the good folks with team canelo you know they're like wait we were our own boss you know Right. The zone doesn't tell us what to do. Right. We call and, the shots. And, and Gennady Golovkin doesn't tell us what to do. You know? Oh, really? <laughs> They're saying that's going to be the next fight? Well, I'll tell you what. We're going up the light heavyweight. We're going to fight <laughs> Sergey Kovalev, which is a fascinating matchup. Absolutely. I'm not, I'm not crapping on that. Right. It's a fascinating matchup. Like, what? Really? Absolutely. And Oscar was floating that even before the Danny Jacobs fight. Like, yeah, sure. hey, Canelo's talked about fighting Sergey Kovalev. And, you know, every, people either roll their eyes or chuckle. I chuckled, you know, okay, whatever. I, I can, I guess I could see why Canelo would think he'd have a shot in that fight. Cause you know, Kovalev may be susceptible to the body. Doesn't have much of an inside game and all, but still it's like heavyweight. So, I mean, like, listen, I wouldn't be surprised if that fight actually does happen next. Right. Right. I think it's at least 50, 50 that they actually make that fight. Cause it's, a, it's a fascinating fight, you know, and if they can get that on the zone, yeah, I'm sure DAZN can sell subscriptions on that, you know? So, I mean, they would be okay with it, right? But at the same time, it's like, okay, so Canelo's going to go all the way up to 175, or maybe they do a catch weight at like 170. He's going to put on 10 pounds? Because I don't think he's going to come in light for that fight. Right. So you're telling me he's going to put on 10 pounds and then drop back down to middleweight? I don't know if that's good for anybody, even a young guy like Canelo, you know, to put on that much that much weight, you know, it's, and you know, it's going to be athletic muscle this day, you know, sure. these days, you know, you know, fighters just don't show up like Roberto Duran at middleweight with a spare tire around. They don't do that. <laughs> they don't do it like that anymore. They got a nutritionist and a positioning coach. They probably have a whole team, you know, making sure they do this scientifically and everything. And so they're going to put on like usable muscle in there. You know what I mean? Like, how do you lose that? Right. You know, like Roy Jones Jr. going up to fight John Ruiz. Like he was a solid 199 or 198 or however much he weighed you know maybe it was even less maybe it was like 193 pounds and then on fight night he was like 199 or something like that i think it was the opposite i think he he weighed in at 199 and fight night he was 193 and then dropped down probably (laughs) you know that 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 you're probably right about that you know (laughs) but that's still that's still 193 pounds of pure muscle 
Like he didn't look right. fat in there, you know, right. and he was pretty quick in there. I was there. I was at Thomas and Mack Center in early 2003 or whenever that fight took place. Um, and, and, and I was there. I was ringside for the first fight with Antonio Tarver at the Mandalay Bay. And I remember he looked gray. His pigment, his, he was no longer brown skinned at that way. I've never seen anything like that. I do like the, his complexion changed. As he stepped on that scale, I'm like, good Lord, hmm. this was not healthy for him to drop back down to 175. Right. And, and Roy Jones Jr. is like one of the all-time great athletic specimen, natural talents in boxing history, you know, and it hurt him to do that. Now, Roy Jones was older. He was getting into it. He was like mid-30s, you know. Canelo Alvarez is 28. I think he turns 29 next month. So maybe he'll be able to do it. But my point is, it's still a gamble. And I still think the gamble is being made because of egos. You know what I mean? Like, mm. if a boxing's crazy like that, I tell, I tell casual fans, you know, people say, like, well, this fight's got to happen, right? It's got to happen. It makes sense. Or, or if this fight won't happen, they're not going to do that. And I say, hey, listen, boxing is money motivated, but it's ego driven. Right. You know, so when people say, no, there's too much money. They have to make that fight. There's no way this fight's not going to happen. There's too much money on the line. They have to make this fight. I'm like, yeah, it makes sense money-wise. It does. But boxing people, are they're a little off. And, <laughs> and if there's a rivalry or whatever, or if somebody doesn't like somebody else, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, they're, they're, they're nutty millionaires. They'll just like, no, you know, I'll, I'll cut my, note off, my nose off. I'll, I'll spite my face. Right. Um, it's ego-driven. Egos, you know, so... You never know. They'll do some crazy stuff like say, no, we'll, we'll pass on this $100 million deal, you know, this three-fight package on the zone, and, and, and instead we'll fight, we'll have Deontay fight Luis Ortiz and Tyson Fury, two dangerous <laughs> fights. Right. You know, two fights, you know, he could definitely lose. Uh, and, and then over right on the Golden Boy side with the zone, they're like, no, nah, you know, we're not going to fight Triple G. And common, and, and by the way, common wisdom tells you, Canelo Alvarez has turned that corner. Like he's figured out Triple G. He knows what to do against Triple G, even if you think he lost that rematch, right? And I had that fight at draw, and I thought both guys were brilliant right. over those 12 rounds. Right. But just the arc of boxing, the arc of a fighter's career, and you look at their respective careers and their ages, you're like, hey, Canelo's going to be a lot better for fight number three. Like he figured it out. Don't back up. Right. You know, I. I it, there's a simple adjustment there. Not only do you not back up, back up Golovkin. See how he handles that. And as good as Golovkin looked against Steve Rolls, that was Steve Rolls. Right. Yeah, he was letting his hands go and go into the body. But one thing I'm noticing about Triple G, he always had average hand speed. But watching him against Steve Rolls, I'm like, he's going to look slow to Canelo. Right. You know, Canelo is an elite athlete, elite boxer. He's got eyes. He sees things. He knows what punches to drop in between the other guy's punches. If Triple G tries to have that activity and that body attack against Canelo Alvarez, Canelo's going to hit him with twos, threes, and fours. Right. I mean, bam, 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 bam. Right. I, mean, I don't know. It's like common wisdom will tell you. And if you talk to like a lot of old boxing guys and trainers, they'll be like asking, who do you favor in the third fight between Canelo Alvarez and Golovkin? I bet you most of them say Canelo even if they hate Canelo. Right. And he's got a lot of haters out there, right? But they'll still be like, no, I got to go with Canelo in that third fight. 
Yeah, I mean, and I think I'm the same way. He seems to. I mean, I love Golovkin, but absolutely, you got to favor Canelo. But that third fight might not happen next. He might step up to light heavyweight because this is boxing. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, listen, he seems to improve with every fight. You know, he looked great against Jay. He looked extremely elusive against Jacobs. I mean, Jacobs couldn't find him for yeah, the first four or five rounds. So yeah, uh, he made he made Jacobs miss so much. He kind of just took that confidence. Absolutely. Absolutely. Took took Jacobs yep. many rounds to, to, to find him. But but hey, let's uh, let's get back to uh, yep. to the cruiserweights. Um you know, we have probably the, the best cruiserweight in the world, without question, uh, Alexander Yusik. He seems to be moving up to uh, to heavyweight. Um, I don't know if that, that fight with Tackham. I don't know if the fight with Tackham has been rescheduled or not, but obviously he's another interesting player at heavyweight. But um, yes, uh, you know, another World Boxing Super Series seems to be crowning. Uh, you know, once again, the the, the best uh, cruiserweight in the world. Um, you know, Maris Bredis and, and Junior Dortikos both had tough fights uh, in the quarterfinals uh, against uh, was it Mikhailian yeah. and uh, and uh, Masternak and 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 you know that that brawl with Bredis and, and Glowacki was one of the wackiest fights of the year. Um, Dortikos looked great against Tabidi. That was a lot of fun. But it seems to you know I would yeah. say that that fight should crown you know who the who the best cruiserweight in the world is uh, once it once it I comes agree. Past. I agree. Despite the controversy. Right. With the the Glowacki fight, um, you know, Ring Magazine has Breedis rated number one, and Dordikos is rated number three. Our champion is Usyk, right? And our number two contender is Murat Gassiev. Who also seems to be moving up is, to heavyweight. <laughs> they're going up. Right. Yeah. Usyk is going up, so we'll have a vacancy at, at, for the cruiserweight title. Gassiev is going up, so that number two spot is vacant. So. You know, whenever Bradis and Dorticos fight in the World Boxing Super Series final, they could be number one and number two in the Ring Magazine rankings. And if that's the case, our vacant title will be on the line. And I really feel like the Ring Magazine champion is the top fighter in each division. Right, right. Who do you see winning that one? Goodness gracious. I kind of like Bradis. Mm. kind of like Bradis in that. Dorticos look real good against Tabidi, but... He looked vulnerable. Both guys look vulnerable, actually, which right. is why I think it's going to be a good fight. I, I, I like that. But Bradis is a strong guy. He's a, he's a rough customer in there. And Dordicos looks a little bit like he's starting to age, starting to slow down just enough. I mean, he had enough to, to, to beat Andrew Tabidi. But when Tabidi let his hands go, um, he found a home for those punches. Absolutely. And I think Bradis has got more confidence than, than Tabidi, definitely more experience, might hit a little bit harder especially with his right hand than, than Tabidi. Um, yeah, I slightly favor Bradis in that, that, that matchup. That should be an awesome, awesome shootout. So, uh, so yeah, man, let's, let's go to the light heavyweights. Um, we've got, you know, Sergey Kovalev uh, won the rematch with the leader Alvarez in kind of a slight upset earlier in the year. Um, you got a lot of champs who made yep. defenses. You know, you got Vosdick beat uh, Dudu and Gumbu and Bival beat Joe Smith. <laughs> You know, better be yeah. have beat uh, Hot Rod uh, Kalogic, but you know, yeah. And these guys are all fun to watch. I like it. They're they're they are entertaining. Um, the top four, the heavyweight top four, all all from Russia right. or former Soviet Union. I right. Vozdik uh, right. is is Ukrainian. Right. Um, there's some interesting matchups to me to be made there, and they just they need to happen. I mean, that's that's what we need to happen. And I know 
before the the Better BF fight, ESPN was talking about some kind of informal tournament or round robin between all the title holders, and I don't know where that's at, but um, I'd love to see these guys fight each other because within a few fights, you know, we could crown, if not an undisputed champion, a partially unified champion and maybe a Ring Magazine champion. Absolutely, yeah. Kovalev is, is, is interesting in that he's had this uh, mandatory with An- Anthony Yard that's been sitting out there and been postponed a few times and, you know, just kind of mysterious circumstances, financing. Mm-hmm. And now Canelo's in the mix, you know, so, um, you know. Yeah, and if you have, if Canelo's in the mix, I mean, you know, if you're managing Kovalev, I, you know, what do you do? Gee. <laughs> exactly. You, you don't have to think long about that. You, gotta, you, know, and, you go with Canelo. Anthony Yard, he's nobody, you know, yeah. but he's dangerous at the same time. Right. He's fought nobody, but he is a, he's an athletic specimen. He's a physical specimen. He's got power. Right. Um, he's dangerous. You know, he's got nothing to lose. Those guys are, those are risky propositions, especially for champions who are in their mid-30s. Absolutely, absolutely. And have had, have had, you know, have burned the candle on both ends. They've had tough fights, and they've lived hard, as Kovalev has. You know, you, you never know when Kovalev is just going to hit the wall. Yeah, if I'm, if I'm Frank Warren and Anthony Yard, I might take some step-aside money and, and be guaranteed the winner of that fight, but and maybe fight on the undercard. Yeah. <laughs> I and mean, I, I might just let that one happen. problem with that, because... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you, you know, they don't have a problem with that because Anthony Yard needs more experience. Right, right. Absolutely, absolutely. I'll tell you, I, I, think, I, so anyways. I think the best performance in the division this year, though, was Marcus Brown just dominating uh, Badu Jack in January. I was, uh, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, same here. Yeah, I've never <laughs> seen Brown. I've never seen Brown box that disciplined. Absolutely. I've never thought much of him as a boxer, as a, as an Olympian. Like you know, I've always expected more of a polished boxing game from him. Something like we saw with Jamel Herring right. against the guy from Japan. Right. Ito. Ito. That's right. Um, I, 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 you know, I expect that type of discipline, technical boxing performance from people who were, who were once part of the U.S. boxing squad, the, the Olympic boxing team, even just the national boxing team. I expect a certain, certain fundamentals, and I haven't always seen that from Brown, but I saw it in that fight, and I was really impressed. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I guess he's got Jean Pascal coming up next, and I know he's got uh, some legal problems as well. So he's got some legal issues. Yeah, so yeah. Hopefully, he'll uh, get it together. Um, let's go down to the super middleweights. I mean, obviously, you know the the ring the ring recognizes Caleb Smith as 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 the as the champ, right? Yes. Yeah. So he earned that when he won the World Boxing Super Series final by stopping George Groves. Yeah, he I, has the WBA title as well. Yeah, he looks like a mom. Have you ever met him? Have you ever met? Have you ever seen? He's Colin huge Smith in person. He's huge. He's a giant. Yeah. He could fight anybody in the top ten of, of like heavyweight, and he'll do fine. Right. Like that's in such an easy transition. That dude is a natural light heavyweight, and he's a big light heavyweight. And like David Benavidez, somehow he can make 168 pounds. And they're scary. When I watch Callum Smith and Benavidez who is our number two contender. When I see them fight guys, it looks like child abuse. I really, it's pitiful. I feel so, I feel so sorry. It's really on love earlier this year. And for Hassan Indom on June 1st, on right. the, the Joshua Ruiz undercard. Uh, I felt so sorry for him. Yeah. He's this big guy. 
just smacking them around like they're nothing. Absolutely. Yeah, those guys are. They they scare me. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't. If I like, if I managed a, a super middleweight, I would not put them in there with those dudes. Those, they're just so big, and they're good. They're Absolutely. Good boxers. Yeah, I'm interested to see. I mean, Benavidez obviously, you know, is, is coming back off of the suspension. I think he's already had one fight, but uh, should be interesting with yeah. him and Anthony Durrell. I think he's going to come back and try and reclaim his uh, WBC belt against uh, against Durrell. Yeah, that seems to be the fight in the division, right? If if, if Canelo's not going to fight Callum Smith, um, Benavidez and Smith would seem to be like the matchup. Um, I mean, oh, Bill, I would love that. Yeah, yeah. Billy yeah, Joe Saunders could, just if, won a belt. Yeah, if they but, could figure it out. Right, um, right. If we could figure out the politics and the platform on, on which to air it, that would be such a sensational fight. Although I'm pretty sure that, that Team Smith, they're still hoping they're in the running for a Canelo showdown or a showdown with Gennady Golovkin. I think they're really hoping. Mm. They're viewing that as their big fight is one of the middleweight stars steps up and faces them. Um, and, 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 you know, who knows it, 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 it could happen. Um, but there's, there's, there's real good talent at 168 pounds and there's a lot of possibilities that can be made on the PBC side of the street. I think there's going to be that, that fight that took place between Caleb Truax and Peter Quillen, where right. I think it ended in the first or second round because of a accidental headbutt. Right. They're, they're rematching. So the winner of that fight could be a player, you know, an opponent for Caleb Plant, who I think I kind of view as the dark horse of the the super middleweight division. I mean, you know, a legit top four contender as well. Um, yeah, you know, he's somebody who on a good night he could upset any of these guys. I was really surprised. A, I mean, a good boxer. Who's Kategi like walked through Durrell. So I, I did not give Plant. A, you know, Plant hadn't really fought anybody, and I didn't really give much of a chance against Uskategi, and he just absolutely dominated Uskategi. I, I was pretty shocked by that one. Um, yeah, he's. I knew he was good, but he's better than I thought he was. Yeah, he's absolutely. a better athlete than I thought he was, and he's a he's a better boxer than I thought he was. He's got a little bit of a punch too. I mean, he dropped Uskategi a couple times, which Durrell couldn't, couldn't yeah. do. Although uh, Uskategi has a chin. Durrell. Yeah, he took he took Durrell's uncle's shot too, really well. So you know he's got. Yeah, shot. right. <laughs> Bare knuckle, sneak shot too. Didn't even see it coming. Absolutely. Yeah, I guess the 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 wild card, the one guy we hadn't talked about, Billy Joe Saunders. I mean, that that could be a, a big fight for Callum Smith in in England. Um, another one of these guys who kind of nobody really wants to fight. A lefty who can box really well and and is a little bit negative. Um, you know, tough fight yeah. for anybody, but very talented fighter. Billy that's Joe a hard night. Yeah. yeah. If, you, if you get a dialed in Billy Joe Saunders, that's a, that's a long night right there. Chris Eubank Jr. I'm, I'm in the minority, but I like him. Um, I enjoy watching him fight. I think there's a lot of natural ability there. He's not very polished. Right. Maybe he's already hit his ceiling in terms of, uh, technique. That's my, uh, car wash guy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hang on a second, Kurt. Sure. Yeah. Thank you, my friend. All right. Okay, so we'll right, I have a so- clean car now, Kurt. That's important <laughs> in uh, Los Angeles. No, it was it was a sty. It's uh, it's the summer, and my parents had visited, mm-hmm. and they take the they take the kids to the beach. And when they do that, it's like my car is covered in sand. Mm. I, mean, I couldn't, I couldn't take it anymore. It <laughs> so right, so I'm sane now. 
You were talking about a Chris Eubank. I have a clean car. Yeah, I like I like him. I listen. I I don't know how high his ceiling is. I don't know if he can be, you know, if if, if even if he'll win a, a legitimate world title at 168 pounds. But I I consider him a player at super middleweight. I think he should be in the mix because I think he makes for good fights. He's got a hell of a chin. He's heavy handed. He's very confident. He's a strong fighter. Yes, he's limited. He can be outboxed. Maybe he can be outworked, even outslugged. But that's going to be a great fight. The fighter that gets in there with Chris Eubank Jr. and says, you know what, man? Yeah, maybe I could outbox you, outmaneuver you. I'm going to stand in here. I'm going to punch you in the face, uh, and I'm going to try to break your will. I think that's going to be a hell of a fight if it happens. Yeah. Whoever Cal- it, whoever that is. Right. Callum yeah. Smith in, in Eubank, it's another great one uh, over in the U.K., another great fight. Yes, it is. Absolutely. So let's talk about the middleweights. Um, obviously, Canelo is, is, is the story at, at middleweight. I mean, he had a nice win over Danny Jacobs. Earlier this year, um, you know, Triple G is back, and, and you know, we've already kind of talked about uh, about that whole saga. But what did you think of uh, Demetrius Andrade's uh, performance uh, last last night against Selecki? I mean, he, you know, he made. A... I thought it was a, I thought it was a Demetrius Andrade performance. Scores <laughs> <laughs> a knockdown, outpoints the guy clearly. Um, he's interesting. He's one of those guys who I expect better technique from. Who was an Olympian. He was on, I believe he was on the 2008 Olympic squad. He was a world amateur champion. Um, and I remember watching him as an amateur. Uh, there was uh, maybe that world amateur championships was televised on some network. Now, it might have been TNT or one of the Turner networks. Works. And a friend of mine who was a gym rat called me up and said, Doug, I want you to turn on the TV and watch this guy. He's an amateur. Um, he's got combinations like a young Sugar Ray Leonard. And I... I turned it on and I'm watching him and I'm thinking, wow, I can't wait to see that guy as a pro. And he's done well as a professional I mean, he's undefeated in 28 fights, but just watching him. It's like, I, I expect cleaner technique. I expect, um, I, I expect crisper combinations, um, uh, a better job at finishing a hurt opponent. And I don't see that. I, I see a guy who's, he's like, a, he's a ring general. And in some ways, he kind of reminds me of the way Tyson Fury can box when Tyson Fury doesn't really care about the opponent, um, especially before the, the Deontay Wilder fight, before his hiatus from boxing, when maybe he wasn't training 100%, maybe he's partying while he's training, and he shows up and he just kind of plays with his food. Tyson <laughs> Fury was good for that, for a, a bunch of fights over in the UK. Uh, and it's not great to watch. And you can appreciate his his command of the ring and how he can control the distance and just kind of smack a guy around as he moves around and switch hits. But you do expect more from your top fighters. You do expect more from your champions, your title holders. And um, I was a bit underwhelmed um, by Andrade's performance um, and a little bit, and to a lesser extent, by Jamal Charlo's performance against Brandon Adams. I was kind of, like I say, I was bored with those fights, but I'm watching it and kind of like, I'm waiting for these top middleweights, these undefeated middleweight belt holders to switch gears, to step their game up and handle opposition that they're supposed to handle. And that's one thing I like about Triple G is if he's in there with a guy who's not supposed to have a chance against him, he doesn't play with his food. Right. closes the show and it's right. entertaining 
Right. And it's satisfying as a, as a viewer, if you're watching it on TV. And I, I wish we could see that from more fighters. Now, I understand not everybody has a knockout punch. I understand that. That's not the case with Charlo. He does have that knockout punch. Maybe that is the case with Andre. He doesn't have that knockout punch, and I shouldn't expect to see that from him. But then he teases us a little bit with the early knockdowns. You know, right, you're like, oh, right, right yeah. Right. That's right, he can punch. And then uh, it doesn't happen. <laughs> we don't get the finish, you know. So, right. yeah, I don't know. I was a bit, I, you know, and I don't mean to crap on either fighter. I think they're sensational. Uh, and I'd love to see them mix with the other top middleweights, um, with the, obviously the two stars of the division. But, you know, honestly, Jacob stays at 160, and I don't think he will. I, I wouldn't mind seeing them fight DJ or Rob Brandt. Or Sergey Derevianchenko. I mean, I'd like to see. I'd like to see the top contenders fight each other. I'd like to see them fight each other. I mean, they're, they're two guys who no one else wants to fight, oh, right? I mean, Charlo. That's it's a good like point. He, he's right. yeah. he's kind of been left with no playmates on the on the PPC side, and Andre's True. like you know joined his own, just like he joined HBO and says, "Hey, play with me, fight me, fight me," and no one's fighting. Nobody him. wants it. Nobody wants no. it. So the two guys who nobody wants, undefeated, both have belts now. Why not? You know, I mean, it's a great, you know, I mean, you're yeah. not going to build your name fighting the Brandon Adams and the, you know, Seleckis of the world. I mean, they're they're solid fighters, but no one really cares. I mean, if you really want to, like, take that step up, you've got to take a chance. And, and uh, you know, if no one else is going to fight either of those guys, they really need to, to get it on, you know? And somebody, somebody has to, on one side of the street, has to be willing to cross that side of the street. Somebody has to be willing to leave their home platform. Right. And that platform has to believe in them enough, like, you know, Pernell Whitaker fighting Julio Cesar Chavez in 1993, leaving the HBO platform to go fight on Showtime's pay-per-view arm um, and having the confidence. I don't, I don't know if they did, if HBO did, uh, but main events, I think, believed in their fighter and they made, they took that leap of faith. And uh, cause if, you know, had he lost, maybe HBO doesn't want him back. Maybe they're mad at him. Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. hey, you know, if we're going to have that fight. It has to be on our platform, you know? <laughs> but you, you want to see somebody make that leap. Um, w- when we talk about the junior welterweight division, that's what I like about this fight on July 27, is that a top-ranked fighter, a guy who's been fighting on ESPN, is crossing the street to fight a DAZN fighter in Maurice Harris. Um, I'm talking about Jose Ramirez. Maurice Hooker. Maurice uh, Hooker. That, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. Maurice Harris. Where did I pull that out? I haven't heard Mo Harris. Hey, he wasn't a bad heavyweight, dude. He, wasn't he was bad. a fun heavyweight. Although he got... he? Yeah, Mo Harris. Sorry, Maurice Hooker. Yeah, the <laughs> Hooker Ramirez fight. I like that. You got a title unification, WBO, WBC. You know, the same title unification we'd like to see at, at middleweight. Right. Uh, and it's happening. And one guy decided, okay, you know, I think the top rank and the ESPN side they believe enough in Jose Ramirez that they say, okay, even though you're going to this guy's hometown, we believe in you. You're going to win this fight, and you're going to come back to our platform with a raised stature within the sport. You're going to, you're going to be a unified champion, right. and we're going to be able to market that, and, and that's going to be good for your career, and it's going to be good for us. And we need more of that thinking. It, you know, it, it shouldn't always have to come down to a purse bid. Um, you know, it, you know, people just need to, to roll the dice a little bit. And, um, yeah, I would like to see one or the other Andre go over to uh, Showtime or Fox or Charlo, you know, go over for one off with the zone and let's see what happened between these guys. Cause you're right. Nobody wants to play with them. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, honestly, I think I think Charlo probably means a little more to the PBC than Andre means to uh, Hearn and Zone. So it probably would make more sense for Andre to go over. But I think they would have every conference. I agree. I I, I think. I mean, I I could be completely wrong about this, but I think did Andre beat Charlo in the amateurs? I you listen, Andre beat a lot of guys in the <laughs> uh, amateurs, right. and style wise, I will say this: Andre is all wrong. For the Charlo twins, for right. either Charlo, right? He was all wrong for Jamel at 154 pounds. He's all wrong for Jamal at 160 pounds. Right. Um, they don't like movers. Right. They don't like boxers. Right. So obviously, Andre's wrong. He's wrong, and he knows it. Right. He, know, he would. He man. He that dude does not lack confidence. He's fun <laughs> to talk to. I like interviewing him. Yeah. Because um, he's also one of them dudes who pays attention to what you write or what you say in interviews. And if he doesn't like it, he gives you crap. Right. And he's pretty he's pretty good natured about it, and I like that. Um, so he's fun to talk to, and he does not lack for confidence. So I mean, he would go into a Charlo fight with supreme confidence. Absolutely. And and I think that would probably show in his performance. And unlike you, I'd, I'd pick Andre in that fight. I really would. Yeah, I I would too. I mean, I think I'd love to see it. Absolutely love to see it because I think both guys need that step up fight. It's perfect for both of them, and and you know. Um, they're both very skilled. It would, it would just be a great fight to to, to make and to watch. So, uh, hope it happens. Uh, let's go to the junior middleweights, um, which uh, is is pretty much controlled by the PBC. I mean, they've got most of the yeah. top fighters, um, and and uh, you know, it looks like we're going to get a couple of rematches. Um, you know, Heard and and J Rock put on a tremendous show in their last fight, and uh, you know, it was great to see. Great uh, fight. J-Rock. Fight, uh, fight of the year candidate. Fight absolutely. of the year candidate, and yet I scored 10 rounds for J-Rock. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> you can have a fight like that. Like, it's one-sided on the scorecards, but it was competitive. Yeah, every and round was, was and compelling. I like fiercely that. fiercely fought. Yeah. yeah. Great fight. Yeah. And Great they fight. are number one and number two in Ring Magazine's junior middleweight rankings. So if and when that rematch happens, that could be for the vacant Ring Magazine junior middleweight title. Yeah, and I hope it is. Deservedly so. Deservedly so. Um, hopefully, we'll get a, a rematch of Tony Harrison and uh, Jermel Charlo, um, which you know I like that a bit controversial. I'm into uh, that first time around. Um, we also yeah. had a, another you know top pairing that the PBC put on this year with Eris Landy Lara and uh, Brian Castaño fighting to a draw. Um, Castaño, yeah. put Castaño in the mix. It, it doesn't look like Castaño is going to take, you know, for his kind of a WBA regular belt. He's not going to fight Michael Soro in a rematch. So it looks like Aristide right. Lara and Soro are going to fight each other. The one guy who's who I would say is probably my biggest disappointment of of, of 2019 is Jaime Munguia, who's still yeah. champion, but it just seems like his stock has definitely gone down this year. I mean, he's had two very you mediocre know, here's performances. here's the thing about Munguia. He's one of these dudes, you know, Mexican fighters, didn't have an extensive amateur background, turned pro at a young age, you know, turned pro as a teenager, and learned on the job and was built up. You know, he's promoted by Zanfer, and they know how to develop fighters. And he was, he was Ring Magazine's prospect of the year for 2017. And that's right. really what he was going into 2018. And he got lucky. You know what I mean? You know, first he's mentioned as an opponent for Triple G when Canelo fell, fell out because of the failed drug test. Right. May 5, they were talking about, I think Tom Loeffler was talking about Golovkin Munguia in Las Vegas, um, May 5. And the, the, the Nevada Commission 
did not approve Munguia as an opponent because they thought he was too young and wasn't ready for that. And then he gets an opportunity to fight Saddam Ali, who was lucky to get the opportunity to fight Miguel Cotto, yeah. who had that WBO title. You right, know? So it was, right. It was crazy. You know, it's like, hey, how did Cotto even get that WBO belt? Okay, whatever. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> B, I, I, I think, may, correct me if I'm wrong, like Golden Boy had tried to reach across the street and offer that Miguel Cotto fight to some PBC players who were not interested. I think Mikey Garcia had called out Cotto and, and Golden Boy had called his bluff and said, okay, Mikey, step up and fight him then. And Mikey's right. like, no, not really. You know, and then they were talking, I think, Andy Garcia, and they were like, no. And I all these Spence, guys turned it down. Spence turned it down as well. I think so. Oh, right. my, dude, what, what would Spence have Oh, I don't mean, I'm kind of glad that didn't happen because I like Miguel a lot, and that would have been ugly. Right. That would have been brutal. Absolutely. Um, but, but Saddam Ali gets this shot, and he wins an upset, a huge upset, you know, in December. And his first defense is against Jaime Munguia, but I don't even think he was supposed to fight Jaime Munguia. I think he was supposed to fight Liam Smith. Smith's or, brother, yeah, Liam brother. Smith. Liam yeah. Smith. Right. It's right. insane. It's like this, this chain of events. Somehow he winds up with a title shot against a blown up 140 pounder who's chinny. Right. I mean, how great is that? <laughs> right. So he goes in there, he's a giant, and he smashes him in four rounds. And so all of a sudden he's a title holder. But guess what, everybody? He's still a prospect. Right. He's still that prospect from 2017. Right. But now he's a title holder. The opposition has to get a little bit better. So he fights Liam Smith, who's a tough cat, who's got experience, takes him a distance. He right. doesn't look like a juggernaut anymore. Then he fights this dude from Japan, who's like most guys from Japan that's going to travel over here, tough as nails. Right. That dude, in a way, don't give a crap. He's right. like, hit me all you want. I'm not <laughs> afraid of you. He goes 12 rounds, and then he gets the, the tricky guy from, uh, I think he's, he's, he's Irish, right? Irish by I, way of Australia or something like right, that. Right. Uh, Dennis Hogan. What was that guy's name? Dennis Hogan? He probably won the fight. Yeah. The dude probably won the fight. Real close yeah. fight. Real close so, fight. Yeah, that, and that dude just put some boxing on him. He, he took him to school. Right. He right. took Bungay to school. Right. So he gets exposed a bit. Like, the dude is still learning, you know, and they got to figure that out. And you do wonder, as big as he is with his bone structure, you do wonder if he's starting to hurt himself. And I wonder about that with Jared Hurd. Right. Um, I wonder if they start to hurt themselves making this unnaturally lightweight. And uh, something that I commented on earlier in the year um, – and one of the things I don't like about the previous day weigh-ins is you got these guys weighing in at unnatural weights to where it affects their performance. And I said, you know, one of the best matchups at junior middleweight should not take place at junior middleweight. And I said, Jared Hurd versus Munguia, there would be a unification fight at the time. It would have been a unification fight at 154 pounds, three belts on the line. It shouldn't take place at that because both guys are probably at their best weighing in a little over 160. They're probably right. at their best weighing in at 162 or 163. Right. So, you know, technically super middleweights, like small super middleweights, because they're that big. When you see them in person, when you see their height and their reach and their frame and their bone density, they got thick bones. It's like, dude, how, why are you fighting at 154? It's nuts. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's it's going to be I've interesting been to that see. A lot during this hey, during this interview, I've been saying crazy and nuts. I've been saying a lot. <laughs> it's boxing. It's boxing, man. Of course, <laughs> right? I've been saying that a lot. <laughs> but uh, but but Mung- it is Mungia. Yeah, it's it's he's an interesting case. I mean, what do you do with him? Because you know he's he's a world champion. He's going to have to face you know tough fighters. Um, you know, I, I don't know who. Right. I, I mean, his mandatory is Kel Brook, and I don't know if Brooks slated to face Crawford or not, but. That's a tough fight for Mungia. Well, yeah, that fight, I would take. I right, would take that fight. Right. He seems a little Brooke fast. Has, it, has turned yeah. the corner. Yeah, right. he's coming up in weight, and he's getting a little bit long in the tooth. There's some wear and tear there. But it is a dangerous fight. That's a dude who can outbox you. That's a right. dude who can, if he's up for that fight and he's healthy, it's a winnable fight, but it's a notable name. And that's a fight I would take if I was uh, Team Mungia. Um, beyond that, um, I'd say move the guy up to 160 right. and, and start the rebuilding process. So you don't have a belt anymore. That's so that pressure's off you and, and start to pick the right middleweight opponents to build you up to where you're in a position to fight triple G, uh, in 2020 or, or Canelo Alvarez. Cause that fight's always going to be out there Two two popular Mexicans fighting right. each other on Cinco de Mayo or, right. You know, Mexican Independence Day weekend. That makes sense. I would think that's but what Golden Boy is grooming him plan. for. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would have a long-term plan where build up and make make the necessary improvements within your camp and your lifestyle, um, and dedicate yourself to the craft and believe in your matchmakers to give you the right fights. I'd have them fight at least four times. Uh, you know, between now and May of 2020. And make yourself available as an opponent for either Canelo or Triple G sometime uh, in the spring or summer of 2020 or the fall of 2020. Right. right. And you, you're going to make a lot of money with those fights. And maybe, maybe you get lucky. Maybe Triple G gets old. You know? Right. You never know. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd definitely, I'd definitely like to see that one. That'd be a tremendous fight. Um, Let's go to the welterweights. I mean, this year we've had, you know, the PBC. Obviously, it's another division that that uh, they have most of the top players in. You had Pac coming back and, and beating Broner. Then you had, you know. And he injected a lot of excitement. He really, absolutely. He, he helped this division, I think. And, and you know what I love about Pacquiao is he's an older fighter and he has an old school mentality. So, like, he signs with the PBC and his tune-up is Adrian Broner, which is a sellable fight. Like, that was a pretty successful pay-per-view. Like, Absolutely. You know, it, it, they didn't take a bath on it. And, and it generated excitement, and people were into it. And Pacquiao's just the kind of guy, oh, who, my next fight? I don't care. I'll fight one of these undefeated young guys. That's right. how Pacquiao is. And I think when the young guys are around an old cat like that who's fearless, they're kind of like, yeah, maybe I should not worry so much. You know, maybe I should be a fighter and not a businessman or a manager, you know, like, wow, that guy's going to just fight him. Like, okay, all right, well, maybe we should fight each other. And I like that. He kind of stirred things up a little bit in a, in a positive way. Yes. So I'm glad he came, you know, I'm glad he crossed the street. Um, I do worry about him with, right. uh, you know, as, as old as he is. And I'm not just looking at his age at 40. I'm looking at how long he's been in boxing. Okay. Sure. Um, and I look, I'm looking at, he's been, he's had a lot of tough fights, you know? So I do worry about him a little bit, but, um, there's no doubting it. He's still, um, a legit middleweight contender. He's still a top player. He's still top five. And I, I, I really have a lot of respect from him. He's, um, ring magazine's number five contender and in Keith Thurman, he's facing our number three contender. 
number one and number two is Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford, of course. Right, right. Absolutely. Well, speaking of Keith Thurman, I mean, he came back off of his uh, sabbatical from from walking the earth and playing the flute. <laughs> That's what it was. And uh, finding a wife. And uh, and, and Jose yeah. Cito Lopez welcomed him back to boxing by almost knocking him out. Um, yeah. A fight that, you know, Thurman otherwise uh, won pretty decisively, but definitely had some, some yeah. tough moments. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And, and he and Pac, you know, are, are, are going to fight in one kind of PBC semifinal <laughs> on July 20th. Right. And then uh, and then you've got kind of the guy who's, you know, most recognized as the number one in the division, Errol Spence, who who trounced uh, the much smaller Mikey Garcia earlier in the year. And he's got, uh, you know, unif- unification with uh, with Sean Porter, who squeaked by uh, or not, you know, Ugas. Uh, Ugas. Yeah. Yeah. This this year, so it's interesting. I mean, I, I love the fact that you know it seems that we're heading towards you know at least some unifications and clarification of the division on at least on one side of the aisle. Um, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know it's left Terrence Crawford with uh, no one to play with on his side. I mean, they had yeah. to, to dust off Amir Khan, and and uh, I really don't know who he's going to fight next. So you know, how, how do you They're see the They're going to have to get real creative. Right, because, you know, <laughs> it's gotten to the point where Aaron will actually talk about making Crawford Spence, but Spence has options on his side of the street, right? And obviously, you know, Sean Porter. Even if you thought that he lost to Ugas, he's a worthy challenger for Spence's IBF welterweight title, um, right? And Porter, of course, has WBC belt, so it's a unification, um, and and that has worth in the sport. Um, and uh, you know, Porter is. He's, he's a credible opponent for Spence. And if you look at who Spence has fought, um, Porter's one of the best, <laughs> you know, he's, right. you know, who, who uh, you know, who, who are the best guys that Spence has faced, you know, there's Kel Brook and there's uh, Mikey Garcia, who is a top lightweight, really right. he should be fighting at 135. Right. Um, so, you know, Porter is, you know, maybe second best, you know, maybe the second best welterweight that Spence has faced so far. So this is a good fight. You got to favor Spence. Spence has talked about fighting uh, Canelo Alvarez. I, I saw something like an interview with him or something on social media. It was an interview, and he was talking about um, after I take care of Porter, I'll fight. Uh, I'll fight Canelo Alvarez. You know what I mean? So if you're if you're Terrence Crawford, there's you know, and you're and you're listening to what. Spence is saying, or, or you know, you're looking at the possibilities for Errol Spence because Errol Spence can fight the winner of of Thurman Pacquiao. It's got to be disappointing, right? You know, because if you're if you're if you're if you're Crawford, you want to fight Spence. That fight makes so much sense. It's a it's a pick 'em fight. It's you know the two best, maybe you know arguably the two best American fighters out there. Definitely the two best welterweights out there. Guys who are on everybody's pound for pound list. All that good stuff. It's a great style matchup too. Absolutely, and, um, and you just you, you, if you're if you're looking at the planning, you're like, man, realistically, when will that? When could that fight happen? You know, you, you know, even if even if my side makes concessions, it's just there's there's options for for Errol Spence out there, and um, Top Rank's going to have to get real creative with Terrence Crawford. <laughs> they really are. I mean, like, who would who would you like if if you if you were part of Terrence Crawford's management team. Who would you find for him that could be interesting as an opponent? 
Yeah, it's it's hard. I mean, right now, I mean, they have, you know, I mean, they're talking about a weight-drained Kell Brook, which I don't know that anybody's really looking forward to that. Or you got Mean Machine Kavalowskis. Oh, that's right. Um, Ooh, but, yuck. Uh, exactly. Yeah, that's bad. To me, I mean, that's, I, you know, no offense to Kavalowskis, but geez, that's yeah, not a good fight. That's a wipeout. Um, I think I think what their, their their play is, and I think they're they're really hoping that um, Regis Progre wins the uh, World Boxing Super Series. I mean, you would think that ah. that, uh, and I think they're also grooming Ramirez. If if Ramirez comes out of that fight with Hooker, that's true too. I, I think they're right. looking for someone to come up and wait to fight Terrence because there's really there's not any big fights at welterweight. You know, the, you know, I mean, they have to go to the PBC. You know, um, yeah. I know they've made they've made offers to Danny Garcia, and I've seen it. In, I mean, Mikey Garcia. It's so hard to pin him down. I mean, he sounded in the last interview I saw with him like he, you know, he's not going to take her, or at least he hasn't signed to fight Danny Garcia. And what was people right. said was kind of a done deal. So maybe Danny Garcia's out there. Yeah, but I don't know. I, you never know with Mikey. Mikey does. You know. Yeah, Mikey likes to play around. Like when Mikey has. You know, he's got he's got his allegiance to Al Heyman and the PBC and they'll they'll offer him a fight and he'll have that and then he'll you know, he is a free agent, so he'll be like, Okay, okay, hang on, let me just let me just hear these offers, you know, let me just be wined and dined by Eddie Hearn and let me hang out with uh Bob Arum, you know, let me be on camera on the zone <laughs> and on ESPN and let me talk about possible fights that I could make in yeah. those universes. Big T's. And let me hear the offers. It's like, he likes that. He <laughs> yeah. likes to hear it. Like, he likes to hear Hearn and, you know, say, you're amazing, you're incredible, and I can envision incredible fights for you at 140 pounds here on zone. And, and I'm sure he likes hearing Bob Arum saying, you know, we always believed in you, Mikey, and we always <laughs> loved you, and you're always welcome back, you know, and all this stuff. And he loves it, and he loves hearing how much money they can offer him and all. But then it's like... He just goes without, you know what I mean? It's, it's, I don't right, know. right, right. He has and, not. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to poo poo out. Um, that Mikey Garcia versus Danny Garcia is an interesting fight at welterweight. It's, it's interesting. Um, right, right. It's, it, it's at the same time, it's frustrating because I think we all know Mikey Garcia is not a welterweight. Right. I think we know that. Right. You know? So we know really he's at his best at 135 pounds. And what's frustrating is that I'm pretty certain we will never see Vasily Lomachenko share the ring with Mikey Garcia at lightweight. Right. Right. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I think Mikey said as much like he does it. He, you know, it would take him a while if, if ever to try and file back down to 135 pounds, like 140 is probably the most realistic that he can get down to now, but 30, he could not like, you know, his next fight is not going to be at 135 pounds. That's for sure. No, so. no, he knows it. <laughs> but uh, speaking of speaking of 140, let's talk about the 140 pounders. I'm excited. There are three fights coming up that I think kind of feature like the the, the best in the division. Obviously, you've got um, the World Boxing Super Series with an absolutely dynamite final. Uh, Josh Taylor and Regis Progre, probably two of the best prospects slash contenders in the sport, uh, both of whom now have uh, championship belts. Um, they know. have world titles. Yeah. And I think, I think they are the consensus number one and number two, 140 pound fighters. Right. Like if you go to ring magazines, rankings, we got pro at number one, Taylor at number two. I think if you go to ESPN.com, you'll see the same thing. 
if you go to the transnational boxing rankings, you'll see the same thing. Um, any sort of independent uh, rankings, you'll see these guys are the top two. And they have the look. They pass the eye test. They're in their primes, athletically speaking. Um, and, and they have the resumes. Like, they deserve to be looked at the top two junior welterweights. Right. So I love, I love the fact that they're going to fight each other in the, the, the WBSS. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've I've always been a massive advocate from the beginning of the World Boxing Super Series. Love it, best thing going in boxing. Yeah, um, and that is just a great fight. That's definitely uh, the kind of you know crowning achievement of, of season two. And there's three great tournaments going on. But you also have, as you mentioned earlier, the uh, a really great fight and a great sign in boxing where you have people crossing networks and you know crossing allegiances. You've got. Uh, WBC champ uh, Jose Ramirez and WBO champ Maurice Hooker going uh, July 27th. Another excellent fight. Uh, how do you see that one playing out? I don't know. I, I, I think it's 50-50. I think I would, in a neutral setting, I think I would slightly, I would, I would favor Ramirez because I like his work rate. Right. Um, he's an underrated technician and he's a volume puncher. He's got reliable whiskers. But this fight has taken place in Dallas, and it, that's the home region of Maurice Hooker. And uh, Maurice, although he struggled to make weight in his last fight, I, I don't, I don't, we, I don't think we saw Hooker at his best in his last fight. But his previous two bouts um, against Terry Flanagan and against Alex Saucedo, I, I liked his form. I liked what I saw from him. He's a very good athlete. He has freakishly long reach. I mean, he's got the wingspan of, I don't know, a light heavyweight and, you know, and he's a, he's a junior welterweight and that's difficult to get around. Um, so I, that's a, I can see him winning a decision definitely, you know, on a, on an Eddie Hearn card in Dallas. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I think I, I see it as 50, 50. I, and it might come down to what the viewer or the judges favors, what their preferences are. Right. Um, and, you know, if you like forward marching aggression and body punching and volume, and I tend to like that, I like an active fighter, you might lean towards Ramirez after 12 rounds. Um, and if you like more, you know, your jab, your, your combination punches, you know, your ring generalship, some, some stick and move, maybe you favor Hooker. You know, it might come down to that. Um, and, and the boxing world might not agree on who actually won that. And that's the way it is. You know, we, we want... We want the best fighting the best, but it's like we can't accept when there's a legitimately close fight a lot of times. So <laughs> we might have one of those situations, you know, like it might be a legitimately close fight, right? Let's say Hooker wins a split decision and then everybody who picked Ramirez or wanted Ramirez to win is like, oh, of course, Eddie Hearn. Oh, right. All the conspiracy decision. theories oh, come out. Right. <laughs> right. You get all of that crap because it's the social media age and everybody has a, a platform to spew that out. So. <laughs> Hopefully that doesn't happen, but I'm glad it's happening. I think it's it's a good sign in boxing. I think it's a great matchup. Um, I love the fact that the top four 140-pound fighters are going to face each other. You know, one pretty soon, you know, just a, a month from now. That's, Absolutely. That's great. Two really 50-50 fights between uh, excellent fighters. And there's a third fight, too. You're right. And, yeah, and pro-grade pro -grade Taylor. I can't pick on that one either. Yeah. Like, honestly. I, you I, know. Know. I can see either guy winning that fight. Like, oh, come on. <laughs> I, I know I can't pick it. I got to flip a coin. It's one of those matchups. And I love these matchups where I, I change my mind day to day. 
right? It'll Where be you like don't that. know going who's going to win it going in. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I'll say this. I enjoy watching both guys fight. They no have doubt. a pleasing style. Mm-hmm. They really are. Absolutely. There's a third fight that, that, I, that I'm really looking forward to, too. You have two undefeated prospects, maybe two of the best prospects at Junior Welterweight. It's going to be on the undercard of uh, Tiafimo Lopez and uh, Masayoshi uh, Nakatani, July 19th. That's Maxim Dadashev and uh, Subriel uh, Matthias. Uh, Matthias is, I think he's got all knockouts, 13-0, and 13 knockouts. And Dadashev we've seen on a bunch of top-ranked undercards. I've heard, yeah, I've heard of both guys. Yeah, where... I'm sorry, say the name of the first guy. Maxim Dadashev? Maybe I'm Maxim. pronouncing it wrong. <laughs> where is he from? You know, where is Dadashev from? I think he's from Russia. I can't keep track. Okay, okay <laughs> Russia. All right. Is he one of Is he one of these guys? He's top are, rank. Uh, he's Agus a top rank. Famous fighters? Probably, yeah, I guess, yeah. Probably famous. Yeah. Yeah. Famous has got 20 guys that train. Most, most of them train out of... Uh, this gym he has in Oxnard, California. And it's like, I can't even keep up with these dudes. <laughs> and now there's a bunch, there's a, there's a contingent. I think they're from Uzbekistan. Right. A lot of Uzbeks and they're coming training over with uh, Joel Diaz out in like the Palm Springs, Indio Coachella area in the desert uh, here in California. I can't keep up with them either, man. <laughs> I know they can fight. I know they got the amateur background. Right. right. I know they're good athletes. I know they're dedicated. And um, and you know they have I'll a lot of letters in their name as they fight, they step up and fight. Yeah, right. but I honestly I do. I'm struggling with their names and recognize them as a matter of fact, and I apologize for that. So absolutely. Well, but I'm glad you alerted me to that fight. I'll be looking at that. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a great fight. I mean, that, that's three great fights coming up uh, later in the year on Junior Welterweight. Definitely happening. Lightweight also. Uh, speaking of top rank, definitely. Uh, you know, I was talking to uh, Todd DeBuff uh, a couple weeks ago, and I, you know, the, they've got the wind at their back here. I mean, lightweight. Obviously, they've got one of the best fighters in the world, uh, Vasily Lomachenko, who's unified two of the belts, BA and BO, and they were able to cut a deal with the very pliable uh, WBC to uh, fight uh, Luke Campbell for yeah. the vacant crowd. Not complaining about that one. Not not complaining. I'm not complaining about that move. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> complaining about that WBC move. Yeah. So, so I like it. Yeah, you're gonna have three three titles on the line. Luke Campbell, former Olympian. You know, not not an easy out. Um, no, yeah. style wise, very difficult for anybody. He, you know, he's rangy. He controls distance really well. He's a southpaw. Right. Um, he's a sneaky body puncher. I think he moves well. Right. Um, that's not easy. That's hard. You know, a boxer like Lomachenko, I think they prefer guys coming straight forward or aggressive type fighters. Right. You know, I generally speaking, that's the case. And they kind of have to change their spots a little bit, you know, when they have to go on the offensive, when they have to be the, the ones to make the moves and enforce the fight. And, and sometimes they can make mistakes and get clipped while doing that. And Campbell's one of those guys with really good timing, good you know, good counter puncher, but, but knows when to let his hands go. And he seems to be coming into his own right now. I think if you look at his form in his last two fights, um, I think he grew a lot from that 12-round experience against Jorge Linares. Right. You look at both of their performances against Linares, and you're thinking, you know, this could be a really good fight. <laughs> you know, I mean, Campbell, that fight could have went either way. You very well could have given that fight yeah. to, to Campbell, and, and Linares was dead yeah. even with uh, Lomachenko when he got stopped. So um, I agree. 
you know, and, and, and Campbell again, well, those tall guys who, you know, Lomachenko is going to have to come too. So it's going to be interesting. Um, and then we had, uh, Richard Comey who, uh, was, you know, very impressive, uh, stopping, uh, looked like a weight drained, uh, Ray Beltran, but still it's, uh, that's, yeah. you know, to, to stop Ray Beltran is, is very impressive. And obviously, uh, fun fight, a, fun fight, yeah. savage, more, more savage science than sweet science. Comey <laughs> is athletically speaking, you know, he's got the power and he definitely has that mentality where he wants to get the knockout. Technically speaking, he can get sloppy. He's a little, right. um, yeah. I think he gets over anxious, gets the guy hurt, gets a little wild. Chins in the air. Um, yeah. You know, it was, he was sloppy. He was sloppy in times. And then at times he looked uh, maybe a bit winded. Right. So he, he's, he's one of those guys who's dangerous and vulnerable at the same time. And those guys are usually a lot of fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then you have uh, top ranks Phenom, a guy who most had agreed was the best prospect in the sport, Tiafimo Lopez, fighting for yes. the. Uh, the uh, Number one spot in the IBF against uh, Nakatani in July, and and hopefully you know if he wins that, then you've got Comey Lopez fighting the winner of uh, of uh, Lomachenko Campbell and and unifying all the belts. I mean, yeah, and if he does that, if he gets past the tough Japanese guy, and the Japanese dudes are always tough, sure, uh, and then, and if he's able to beat Comey and and get that IBF title, he he will have received that experience, that seasoning. He'll have a world title, and at that point, it makes sense to do the unification with Lomachenko. And that's that's great. That's a worthy pursuit. Um, i, I got to think that Top Rank wants that. ESPN wants that. They can build that as a, a, you know, a fight for the undisputed lightweight championship, which we haven't had since Pernell Whitaker. Right. So that's a selling point right there. Um, but it's, it's like a fight. It's like a, it's a fight that has... Marquee value because Teofimo he, he moves the needle and that's that's what Lomachenko needs he needs to fight guys that move the needle uh, and and in Lomachenko he doesn't greatly move the needle but he does move the needle you know right. the the fight was with Linares at Madison Square Garden they had more than ten thousand there for that fight and the the atmosphere was great and the fight was tremendous last May and uh, uh, at Staples Center I was ringside for his fight against Crola. Um, Crawler, right? Anthony Crawler. Yeah, I call. It, oh, is it Crawler or is it Crawler? I don't I know if it's Crawler because it's supposed to rhyme with million dollar. Oh, there yeah, you go. It's Crawler. <laughs> I, I, I've always called him Crawler, but it's Crawler. And um, you know, he, you know, he he didn't belong in the same ring with with Lomachenko, but people came out, and, and I was I was surprised. Like the movers and shakers of Los Angeles showed up. Uh, a lot of Hollywood showed up for that fight, and I think they had around ten thousand for that. So he's he's not like Triple G; he doesn't sell out arenas on both coasts. But he, you know, he's getting he it. does move the needle. But you match him up with a guy as explosive and dynamic, uh, an athlete, boxer, and personality as Lopez, and then you, you have something. You have right. something to where maybe maybe you get the sellout at MSG or Staples Center. Um, and that's 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 what that's what Lomachenko needs. Absolutely, absolutely. He has not had a foil as of yet. Uh, Rigo Rigo didn't cut it. <laughs> so. No, Rigo didn't cut it. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know what? In a few years from now, who might cut it is Devin Haney. Right, He's our number four contender, only twenty years old, and yes, what? man, that's a lot of talent. Yeah, the the fight I'm He'll looking better. Looking forward to eventually is is him and Lopez. I think you know those guys have to be on a collision course at some point, either at lightweight or junior welterweight, because they're both huge for the lightweight division. 
but man, that would I be hope. a great fight. Yeah, that would be a tremendous fight. So uh, let's go to the junior lightweights. Um, so far with junior lightweights, it's been more of a Twitter battle than actually the top guys facing each other. The Twitter battle yeah. has been more interesting. Um, you know, Farmer getting into it with everybody. Gervonta getting into it yep. with everybody. Uh, Jojo Diaz. Joseph Diaz Jr. is even trying to do it. It's like, <laughs> exactly. dude, you're supposed to be the Boy Scout. What's exactly. up? You know? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard. You know what? Once you get under welterweight, once you get under 140 pounds, it's hard for these guys to get attention. It's hard for, for them to get the spotlight in boxing. True. Um, and there's a lot of talent, and there's good fights to be made there. And generally speaking, historically speaking, you know, the junior lightweights have been willing to fight each other. I think all these guys are willing to fight each other. Like right. guys like Andrew Cancio. Right. You know they'll fight anybody. Absolutely. And and, and Jamal Herring too. Even and even now that he's a world title holder, you know he'll fight anybody. Absolutely. Um and I believe uh Diaz Jr. when he says he'll fight anybody. Same thing with, with Tank Davis. Um so with you know, the only thing holding him back is the promotional and platform stuff. That's the only thing holding holding these these, these excellent matchups to be made. But yeah. even within the platforms, I think there's some decent fights to be made. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I'd, I'd love to see, uh, you know, Cancio and, and Jojo Diaz fight for a second time. You know, um, I guess, you know, Burchelt, yep. Burchelt being with Zanfer, he can kind of flip back and forth between platforms. So I'd like to see him in there with any of those guys. You know, I mean, Davis, yeah. Farmer, Herring, Cancio, Jojo, even that kid was a... Well, let's hope these, these platforms and these promoters offer them enough money to make it worth his while. Right. <laughs> Right. I, you know, he, he looks like he carries a lot of weight between fights. He could easily go up to 135, and I, that wouldn't right. shock me if he did that. Absolutely. Um, even though he holds the WBC title. But, yeah, I, I'd rather see him face a fellow title holder at 130 pounds because I, I enjoy watching him fight. He's athletic, and he's a boxer puncher. And he's one of them dudes. He's, he's kind of, you know, he's a little sharper than, than Richard Comey. Right. But he's, he's vulnerable. You right. Know, you can see it. You know? Right. He leaves himself open when he goes for the kill. Yeah, he takes risks, but he looks like, like from the waist up, he's a middleweight. I mean, he's huge for 130 pounds. He is massive. Yes, he is. You're and right. He, and he when he hits really you, you stay shoulders. hit. Yeah, huge, huge hitter. Oh, you can hear it. He's massively <laughs> heavy-handed. Every punch he lands, even if it's grazing, it makes a noise. Absolutely. That's not like other fighters at that weight class. Yeah, Absolutely. The heavy-handedness is real. So it's it's kind of similar featherweight, I guess, too. You've got you know Leo Santa Cruz, Gary Russell, Josh Warrington, uh, Oscar Valdez, you know the Jucan, uh, Abner Mares, uh, Carl Frampton, Tugney Ambar. I mean, you've got you know like th- th- there's like eight guys there. Yep. A few of them have fought each other. Like Leo's fought Frampton a couple <laughs> times and Morris a couple times. Yeah. Warrington and Frampton yeah. fought, but there's still like no definitive champ. You know, you'd love really to see. Frustrating. Yeah, you'd love to see the PBC and, and Top Rank just kind of at least clear up their sides of the ledger. You know, <laughs> I mean, right? Have Valdez fight Frampton or Warrington, and you know, and and come yeah, on, I man. I think that's in the works. I think that's in the works. Although it wouldn't shock me if Valdez and Carl Frampton fought at 130 pounds, because right. I think both guys struggle to make 126. Right. Um, but I don't understand why Leo Santa Cruz, Gary Russell Jr. just hasn't happened. Agree. And, and all these years, it's just got to, I mean, it's got to happen. And I, and I think Gary Russell is tremendous. Um, he's a, he's probably the most talented and most skilled of the 126 pounders. Um, I don't know if he beats Santa Cruz. I could see it happening. Right. Um, but 
I just, you know, the annual appearance against some dude, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> done with that. You know, and I give him credit. Last year, he fought Joseph Diaz Jr. Great and, fight, and too. he was sensational. Right. Yeah, it was a really good fight. Uh, but that was a that was a mandatory thing. You know, that was a thing where the WBC kind of forced forced right. that to happen and went right. the purse bid, that kind of thing. Right. And that's fine, you know. But I can't see any more of these fights where he's just fighting some you know, faded, plotting, aggressive guy from South America or Mexico. It's like, no, dude, you know, fight. He's an elite talent. He's got to fight another elite fighter. It's got to be Leo Santa Cruz. If it ain't Santa Cruz, do business with with Josh Warrington. You know, let's see, you know, what are you scared of, man? And I don't think he is scared. I just think that the fights have to be made. Maybe he's asking for too much money. I don't know what the deal is. I honestly (laughs) don't know what the holdup is. I don't care. But right. I, I'm saying this: if Gary, you know, if Gary Russell doesn't fight until this time next year, and it's against some guy, I swear to you, I'm going to boycott that fight. I'm not even <laughs> going to watch it on general principle. I'm not doing it. No, I hear really. you. I know the PBC is even kind of frustrated with Gary. They'd like him to fight more, and they they would like him to take that Santa Cruz fight too. So, you know, and and Santa Cruz too seems to be kind of. Like not exactly, you know, pushing it these days. I mean, he's he's kind of no, taking not, a little bit of time off. Yeah, in this stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, he likes it. He likes his time off. Right, and he's fine with you know just facing a stay busy type guy. Right, he's always been cool with that. Right, know? it's crazy. So, so I guess we'll, we'll let's do two more here. The the junior featherweights. Um, you know, it, it seems to be it's, it's kind of a four man race you know you've got uh navarette yeah. who with the with the two wins over dog bay and ray vargas yeah. who's been impressive uh daniel roman who yeah, had he's a, got a good fight coming up against one of the kameda brothers i'm gonna, right. I'm gonna cover that because july 19 uh right. and my man danny roman yes hey, i you know fight of the year candidates i don't know oh. the best fight that's happened this year it's one of them though that's absolutely with doheny oh man that's what you'd like to see absolutely that's 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 the whole reason you want to have title unifications for drama like that. Absolutely. The ebbs and flows. Oh, I love it. And you know what I love about Ramon? If you look at him and you break him down to his strengths, right? He doesn't do anything great. Like he's not like an elite level cat in terms of his athleticism or his technique or the ring generalship or whatever. But he just puts it all together, man. And right. he's one of those guys. He's just steadily improved fight by fight. He's willing to fight top fighters. And, uh, and I've watched his whole, his whole climb from being like the B side in a showbox, you know, right. <laughs> like a right. showbox matchup. Like he's the, he's the prospect who's not really a prospect. He's supposed <laughs> to lose and he wins. And it's like every fight from that point, he gets better and better and better. And, and just so happy for him. And he's such a down to earth dude. Yeah, you, it's it, that's great. I'm 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 so proud that he's a, a unified title holder and he's he's uh, Ring Magazine's number one rated junior featherweight. But him versus any of these guys, him versus Ray Vargas or Navarrete or, or Rigo. I mean, Rigo's even, back even in the mix now. Rigo's yeah. still in it, right? Yeah, and he's it's one of these things now where he's old enough to where he's vulnerable now. Absolutely, his last fight that was and like one of the better fights I've yeah. seen this year. I mean, that was back and forth, right. man. He and Seha like were, was, were blasting each other. That yeah. was a good TV fight. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and and I would say TJ Doheny is still in there. He's still sure. a player. I wouldn't sure. mind seeing him. And Brandon Figueroa, any of these other title holders. Brandon Figueroa is kind of the up and coming guy here too. He I is. Mean, he's tall, yeah, hard hitter. Yeah, I mean, I love a, watching him fight. I think we rank him. He's a contender. Yeah, he's we rank him. He's nineteen and 0, 14 knockouts. 
and we rank him number eight. Yeah, he's so he's up. yeah he's a player, and he's got yeah. the look too. Like he's got the look, and I think unlike his older brother uh, Omar, I think maybe he's a little more dedicated. Right, you know, takes care of himself between fights a little better. So yeah, he's he's I think he's got star potential actually. Absolutely, absolutely. I think I I mean just from what I've been hearing, I mean maybe you've heard something different, but. Um, the possibility of uh, Roman and Vargas, should Vargas get through his next fight, is 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 out there. So they could unify three of the belts. So that'd be that'd be great. That'd be a great fight. Yes, that's what I'm hearing. That's the that's a fight that Dazone wants to have, and I think that's that's you know whenever when Vargas fights, you'll notice there's Thompson boxing guys, you know, ringside, you know, <laughs> scouting, kind of repping Roman. <laughs> and when Roman, yeah, and when Roman fights, there's Golden Boy guys around, yeah. Watching, scouting, exactly. But also talking. They're talking to each other. So I, I do. I think that is a fight that can happen. Uh, and maybe it can happen late this year. Yeah, that'd be tremendous. I mean, the second half of the year is loaded as it is. But yeah, if that if you add that one in there, man, it's going to be great. Um, let's just do, uh, let's get to the Bantamweights where, you know, it's so funny. You had the World Boxing Super Series, which, you know, save for the, the suspended uh, Lewis Neary at the time, um, you know, you had pretty much the you know the best bantamweights in the world. You had Ryan Barnett, Zolani yep. Tete, Emmanuel Rodriguez, yep. um, and you know, of course, uh, you know now uh, Inui and 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 Donaire oh, was kind of a throw-in, <laughs> right? And then you know, funny thing happened on the yeah, way to the finals. You know, you get two guys, uh, you know, uh, Barnett and Tete, two of the top seeds who who get injured, and uh, yeah, and, unfortunate. Uh, and uh, Donaire is in the finals, but man, Anui has has definitely shown his uh, potential in 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 this uh, tournament. I mean, he's definitely emerged as a star. Um, yeah, and, and uh, you yeah, know, he is. I'm I'm kind of looking forward to the final against Donaire, and I'm kind of like, oh man, I hope Nonito doesn't get hurt. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I feel like he Donaire is a bit of a threat because of his power and obviously his experience, and right. that if in a way looks past him and in a way is not the kind of guy to do that. But if he did, if some, if he, for whatever reason, if he's not a hundred percent that night and he makes a mistake, Donaire's the type of veteran that can make him pay for that. Right. That can at least cause some scares. Um, it'll be interesting where this fight lands. Yeah. I mean, if it, if it, you know, if, if it lands in Japan, I gotta, I gotta at least consider making that trip because <laughs> It's such a such an amazing matchup. Um, really should but, be in uh, I Japan. Hope, I hope it takes place in the U.S. Uh, for, yeah. Same thing. Same thing with Pro Grade Taylor. I kind of right. hope that winds up in the U.S. Right. But you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Those are those are those finals are, are, are excellent. But you know, the bantamweight division always has a lot of talent. And Lewis Neri is. I mean, he's scary. Yes. Uh, he's ranked number two by ring. Uh, Tete's a total package. He's a, an excellent veteran very difficult fight for anybody style wise he's our number one contender um donaire's number three uh rodriguez is uh, still in the mix number four and that nordine ubali guy he's a hell of a fighter the wbc title holder he's number five and he mixes in well with guys as well as anyway's little brother takuma he could fight right uh one of the maloney brothers is is at bantamweight there's a lot of fights a real a lot of really good fights where is Anui? Where's Anui in the in the in the ring in the ring rankings? Champion. 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 Okay. <laughs> yeah. So you yeah. had Rodriguez uh, at two or three. One and, and, and yeah, because yeah, Rodriguez was number three, 
So we made that that semifinal, the WBSS semifinal bout for the vacant ring magazine championship. And we're proud to have the monster as uh, one of our ring magazine champions because he's a fighting champion. Absolutely. He, you know, guys who are willing to enter these world boxing super series tournaments to me, like they're what it's all about. Absolutely. They're, they're treating boxing like a sport, not a business. And, and I think they should be rewarded for taking a risk, uh, taking a bunch of risks, you know, and, and having tough fight after tough fight after tough fight. Absolutely. So, um, no, it's, that's a, I'm looking forward to those finals and, uh, hopefully in a way sticks around. It would not shock me if he went up to the 122 pound division. Um, he's welcome in, right. in that division, but, um, it'd be nice if he stuck around, if he wins, if he beats Donaire. Um, and, and fights as Alani Tete or a Neri uh, or one of these other guys because they're dangerous. Right. Those aren't gimme fights. That's I mean, that's the really unique thing about the situation is that you know, you've had the World Boxing Super Series, which had most of the great fighters in it, but the winner is going to come out, and there's still like great fights that didn't happen in there. You've got, you know, if, if Barnett can still make uh, 118, you've got Tete, you've got Ubali, yeah. and obviously you've got Louis Neary, which that, to me, is like a dream fight, him and That got a beast. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that would be a just... They could, you know, they couldn't do that fight in Japan because Neary right. was banned. <laughs> right. He received a lifetime ban there. Right. For those two Yamanaka fights, those fiascos. So, yeah. you know, they'd have to do it. They'd have to do it in the U.S. That's where the money would be for that fight. <laughs> Not, well, I'd welcome that. Absolutely. I'd, man, Japan versus Mexico, generally speaking... Those are good fights when you're talking about their top fighters. Uh, absolutely. Tough, tough guys from, from both nations usually. So, well, listen, you know, I, I, you know, we could go through all the divisions, but it's just, you know, I, I want to keep this <laughs> under three hours. So I guess the, the, the yeah. last, uh, the last uh, question I'll have for you is just for you so far in 2019, what's been your fight of the year? Well, I, well, I tell you what, from ringside, um, I enjoyed the, the title unification, the 122-pound unification bout between Danny Roman and TJ Doheny. Um, I, I, it was a nice clash of styles. Uh, the fight was up for grabs um, until late in the fight. Um, it, it was a close fight. Um, I thought Roman deserved the decision. Uh, maybe that's my leading candidate. Watching on TV, I really enjoyed the, the Jarrett Hurd Julian Williams fight, even right. though I, I had that one-sided fight in terms of my personal scorecard. Um, the upset with uh, Anthony Joshua and, and Andy Ruiz Jr., that was, that was almost surreal. Sure. That was a great moment. That's one of those fights that had your heart beating. Um, on that undercard, there was a, a good uh, title unification bout, uh, women's lightweight championship between Katie Taylor and Delphine Persone, Absolutely. and I really enjoyed that fight. I scored it a draw. I have no problem with anyone who thought Persone won that fight, and I know they're going to do it again, and I think whenever they fight, it's going to be a really good matchup. So that's a fight. I think that's a fight of the year candidate. Absolutely. Um, I'll include women's boxing. Absolutely. Definitely. Uh, you know what I mean? I won't separate it like, oh, you have a women's fight of the year and a men's fight of the year. No, the women's fight is, is awesome. It's fight of the year. No, the crowd, the you know? crowd was on its feet at the Garden at the end of that one. So, that's yeah, I mean, that, that tells you how good a fight that was. <laughs> They put it down, I, yeah. you know, uh, they really did. Um, what's another fight? I mean, there's some fights that I've seen that they were, you know, they weren't elite level fights, you know, they were, they were sloppy, but I still enjoyed them. I liked the Umberto Soto, Brandon Rios fight right. earlier in the year. It was sloppy, it was ridiculous. <laughs> I, 
I don't care. I'm a savage. I liked it. I'm a cool. <laughs> I like that fight. I even like Soto's fight with Jesse Vargas. That was fun. Right. Um, that was good stuff. I enjoyed watching the craft that that old, that old Wiley veteran brought to the ring. Uh, let me think. What else have we? And we've had some fights. There were some upsets on um, Golden Boy's Thursday Night Fight Series. Um, I think in March, Mercito Hesta lost to this dude from uh, from Mexico, a French contender gatekeeper type. Rodriguez is his name. I forget his name. I think it's Juan Antonio Rodriguez. That was fun. Um, and then they brought Rodriguez back to fight uh, another Filipino guy, uh, an up-and-comer named Romero Duno. And that fight was dramatic. That was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that fight a lot as well. I was doing the commentary for that fight. So yeah. it, it was fun. There's been, fun. There's been a lot of fun fights. There's no, there hasn't been any clear fight of the year front runner yet this year. I think we'll get it you know, sometime over the second half of the year. But I think those fights have been the ones I've enjoyed the most, either ringside or, or watching, t- watching on TV. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree with all of those. I mean, I guess I, I would add, I mean, I thought the, on the, um, Mungia Inui undercard, I thought the, the Jukan and Jesus Rojas fight was just, Oh, oh good one. Good one. Yeah. <laughs> Punch fest. Yeah. That's that featherweight contest. Yeah. Yeah. Those guys. Jukan, I'm really interested down. in him. Yeah. I'm, I like his form. I like his, I like what I see from him. Uh, and hopefully he can keep winning and that's, I've got a goal, you know, for certain, Ring magazine covers, you know, making <laughs> making history, doing first. There you go, China. Thinking, there you go. Maybe yeah. Zhu can. Maybe he's the first Chinese fighter, you know, to be on uh, the cover of Ring magazine. That would be interesting. What you know, how that would be received in China and, and so forth and all. But you know, he's he's got to be in the right fight. He's got to right. keep winning, and and let's let's see what happens with that. But I like that guy. I like him. Yeah, man, that was a punch fest. Wow, absolutely. And he's like the the. The WBA regular champ now. I mean, you know, I'd love yeah. to see him in there with Leo Santa Cruz. I think that would be just a ridiculously good fight. That would be a ridiculous. <laughs> and they're both. It's great. You know, it's amazing because uh, Leo started at 118, and he was a giant for that weight class. But he's right. still pretty big for featherweight. He's still right. tall and rangy for featherweight. And so is Zucan. He's a big featherweight. He right. really is. Right. And I like his punch selection. He's one of those dudes. He has this. Uh, Low KO ratio, right? But he can be a punisher in there. Uh, Jesus Rosas, you know, Rojas went the distance because he's tough as nails, right? Right. But this last guy that he that Zukan uh, fought, yeah, uh, Sean Kubo, former belt holder, yeah, Kubo, yeah, he's Kubo a... from Japan, right? He got stopped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He put him out. He put him out. Yeah, Kubo. I think I remember seeing a, a fight with him and Daniel Roman where he he's very busy, but you know, when Roman put his punches together, he was able to to chop him down, but. Another one of those yeah. tall, like busy, tough guys. But, but hey, man, yeah. it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Doug. Um, really appreciate you taking the time, and uh, you know, uh, you know, glad you got your car washed. That's awesome. <laughs> I did. I got a clean car. Yes. <laughs> and hey, man, really appreciate your time. Anytime, Kurt. Thank you. All right, my man. Take care. All right. You too. Okay. Later. Bye. And that will do it for another edition of the Boxing Esquire podcast presented by The Ring and RingTV.com and distributed by the Leave It In The Ring Network. I'd like to thank Doug Fisher for taking the time out to speak with me. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment or a rating on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Audioboom, SoundCloud, or wherever you access the Boxing Esquire podcast. I'd really appreciate it as it helps new listeners find the podcast. 
And also, do not forget to check out my companion piece to this podcast on ringtv.com that features quotes and background on my interview with Doug. So until next time, so long, everybody. Fuck.